This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who started our contract with Blue Wire two weeks ago, and we are yet to have been waived. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, the Poobah of Prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast that keeps its problematic per 60 down to a very reasonable level. We are so excited to be live and here with you again for another episode where we get to break down all that fantasy hockey had to offer us this week, all the news and notes, so that if you had a crummy week like I did, you are prepared to bounce back for next week. And hey, if you had a great week, then you could just keep on rolling if hopefully you listen to the rest of this show and get some really good tidbits that'll help you on your way to winning your next week. Yeah, we've got a packed show for you today, so we'll see how long it takes us to get through it. But I've got, I got a, I got a set for you, okay? I've got, we got outjuries, we've got injuries, we've got hot streaks, we've got cold streaks, and we have a player who was just waved uh, from his team. We're going to get to all that in just a second. But first, a uh, couple announcements. Of course, we want to always mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, proudly so, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. I'm there every day reading the articles, making sure I'm up to speed on everything. I love the daily ramblings, plus frozen tools, Mwah, like the perfect stat site to get everything everything you need to prep a hockey podcast or to do well in fantasy. So that's at DauberHockey.com. Brian, we also have uh, another big announcement, which I think the plan is to kind of tease it and save it all the way to the end of the show. So stay tuned till the end because we've got a huge announcement for the people who are participating in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League specifically. You're going to want to hear this. And even if you're not, you, you're still going to want to hear this. It's going to be big. I'm biting my tongue. Like, I, like the people who play in the cupful are amazing and competitive and fun. And I just, like, I want to... They give so much to us in the league. I want to give it to them right away. Why make them wait? All right, fine. Do it. I don't know. Okay. Uh, okay. Calling an audible here. It, look in the show notes right now and you'll see. <laughs> okay. So, uh, with that, let's... Don't get... look if you want to be spoiled. <laughs> let's get started with our content here. Because, like I said, we have a lot to get to. And, of course, the big news from today. We're recording this Sunday evening. A couple NHL games have happened. A couple are wrapping up. we got Dallas, Carolina in overtime. Uh, but, yeah, we've got a uh, lot to get to. And, number one, like I said, 
uh, player got waived. Tony D'Angelo, the fourth leading scorer of defenseman last year from the New York Rangers, uh, had a rocky start to this season, right? Like he played, I think, the first game, then he got benched for a couple of games, apparently because he took a bad penalty or something, or who knows, for whatever reason. Then he came back. He had been bumped from his top power play spot. Then over the last couple of games... He got back on the top power play. Actually picked up a power play assist in Saturday's game versus Pittsburgh. And then all of a sudden today, out of nowhere, he's waved. Right, I picked him up in the couple. He got dropped by Lewis uh, from the short shifts. And I thought, oh, I'll throw a buck. I'll pick up D'Angelo. Could be a top power play guy. He got back on the top power play. Like I said, like I was feeling pretty good with the ad. Like, I'm not a huge uh, Tony D'Angelo fan. Don't get me wrong. But if he could help me on my fantasy team, why not? Now, all of a sudden, the dude's waved. I wish I was kind of thinking of uh, just messaging you and being like, should we just postpone the show for a day? Because obviously, we'll find out tomorrow if he's going to get claimed or not. So maybe you're listening to this and already know. In the meantime... I'm just wondering, like, what this means. Like, in terms of, especially in terms of fantasy, do you just kind of, like, drop this guy? Because, you know, he might go to another team. He might not. Uh, even if he does, he's going to have to quarantine. And who knows if he'll be good? Or, like, if he doesn't get claimed, then are the Rangers sending him down? Like, Brian, I'm just trying to decide. Like, do I just, like, drop him like he's hot? Oh, like the Rangers did? Or do you think this potentially could be good for his fantasy value? Like, I'm just imagining best case scenario. What if he goes to the Bruins and takes over on the top power play as the quarterback? All of a sudden, he's, like, as good as he was last year. I know there's obviously a lot of like non-hockey implications here, uh, so I'm sure you're going to want to get into that. But also, I'm very curious to get your uh, fantasy take on what this means with Tony D'Angelo being waived. Sure. So for anybody who just hasn't heard the full story yet, Tony D'Angelo apparently has been in trouble. I mean, okay, so he has this this history, like going back, I actually have this article up from 2014 right now by Sunaya Sapurji who uh, wrote in 2014 on Valentine's Day that uh, Anthony D'Angelo was suspended for a slur directed at a teammate. Uh, And like, we've known this to be true about Anthony D'Angelo, who has never been afraid to be uh, mean to other people and to uselers and to not seem apologetic about it. uh, And to have had a couple chances to reform, like, you know, he was drafted into the NHL. There's a quote from Steve Eiserman circulating now that said, like, we knew uh, his background. We wanted to give him a chance. He might have done something stupid. Uh, And then, of course, after being drafted into the NHL, he uh, was tossed out of the Tampa organization uh, within two years, then lasted less than two years in Arizona before the Rangers took him on, where apparently there have been regular problems. I mean, if you're on Twitter or plugged in at all to... uh, I guess anything hockey, like that stuff that's happening off the ice and on the ice, you'll see that he's sort of brought a lot of negative attention to himself for saying some pretty awful things uh, that, you know, are go beyond awful. Like awful is not a fair word to describe them. And probably it's not a good idea to have anybody who's doing these things regularly and not trying to make any effort to improve in the league. And uh, I guess this is what the Rangers have finally decided, that they have had enough. And apparently it was an altercation where uh, the latest we've got, um, we've got uh, Carpinello, I think his first name is Rick, on The Athletic, and Adam Herman over at Blue Shirt Banter, who are sharing the most information uh, that I'm picking up right now. Uh, that there was an altercation after the loss against Pittsburgh on Saturday where uh, he might have said something to Alexander Georgiev and then Chris Kreider punched him in the face and uh, then he was promptly waived. So I like, look, all of this is just being dished right now. It's all live. I'm sure everybody will know more in 24 hours. But w- the reason I'm bringing all this up 
because you asked me about his fantasy value, and I, I think there's a connection here. I think this is somebody who has burned um, possibly his last chance of playing in the NHL. It's pretty wild to me that like he had most of this history was already there. Like there's no surprise coming from I think the last week or month or year or three years even about who this guy is, aside from the fact that he hasn't changed for the better. Um, and yet the Rangers signed him to a two year contract worth almost $5 million each year back in October. If they don't want him, I think other teams will know that and aren't going to easily take a problem off their hands. So no, I don't think another team just goes ahead and claims D'Angelo. I also don't know that he gets another chance in New York. So for me, I see the biggest implication here is being like, it's Adam Fox season completely. They were sharing time on the top power play, like they were both playing on it for a little bit. And I just think now it's just going to be Adam Fox's top unit to run, which is exciting for anybody who already has him. And I'm not holding my breath that Anthony D'Angelo is going to get another chance in New York or elsewhere, anywhere or any time in the in the near future. So that is is that enough of, of a fantasy take for you, Elon? Yeah, it sounds like you're saying you're pretty confident. Obviously, we don't know with 100% certainty, but you're pretty confident he's not going to play again, which means if you have Tony D'Angelo on your team, maybe it's time to drop. I guess you can wait a day if you want, see what happens, but start yeah. planning ahead. And yeah, this is, I guess, good news for Adam Fox. He was already there. Uh, also good news for whatever forward is going to get back on the top power play, right? Because they've been running three forwards and two defensemen for the last couple of games. Uh, and it, it was uh, Zibanejad, Panarin, and Buchnevich on that top power play with D'Angelo and Adam Fox. Uh, so notably absent, Chris Kreider and Ryan Strom. And both of those guys have actually been big like busts to start the year. They both only have three points in eight games so far. And obviously it was concerning that they were both bumped from the top power play. Actually, Chris Kreider was even bumped to the third line in that game against Pittsburgh on Saturday. So now, I don't know, just another reason to potentially hold on to these guys. But I was curious to get your take on these slumping Rangers. There's another huge slumping Ranger, which we'll get to in a sec. But first, like I guess the uh, hors d'oeuvres before the main course, uh, Ryan Strom and Chris Kreider, are, they the, are these the types of guys that you'd be nervous about? Or are you just assuming that they're going to get back to at least what they were doing last year or close to? I know like Ryan Strom overperformed a little bit, but if he's centering Artemi Panarin, like, how bad can he be? Hopefully not this bad. For sure. And I, I'm going to get to that in a sec. Sorry, I just like had another thought that please con- connects with why I don't think D'Angelo is going to get another chance. And it's that, you know, if you're going to be awful and make all kinds of like mistakes and uh, like be mean, uh, you're going to have to be like really good at what you do. And I just want to like make the point here that like NHL teams have shown they will excuse a lot of behavior that should not be excused in the name of like, yeah, this guy's a member of our team, he's a positive contributor to that, and the rest of the stuff we'll deal with. And it looks like the Rangers were ready to do that up until this point. And like, I'll I'll emphasize that Tony D'Angelo on the ice has been hot garbage on defense, right? He had this offensive upside, which was uh, great for him last season, but in a year where it seems like the Rangers are trying to play more structured, more disciplined, his game is exposed even more so. Um, so if he doesn't have that amazing game to make NHL teams want to make excuses to keep him around, despite knowing who he is at his core and the way he's treated other people using uh, like racist slurs, then I, I just don't see it happening. So like the, that's another reason why I don't see him coming back to the NHL. I could be wrong. Like this is so fresh and you shouldn't get your news from us on this. Definitely keep an eye out on Rick Carpinello at The Athletic and Adam Z. Herman at blueshirtbanter.com. Uh, but that's just another reason why I'm sort of uh, 
poo-pooing the notion that D'Angelo comes back just because, like, I just don't think his play has made him worth any kind of trouble, even though we know that NHL teams will tolerate some amount of trouble. But you asked me about slumping Rangers. Uh, Chris Kreider and and Ryan Strom, the two guys. So yeah, three points in eight games. They were off the top power play. Someone might get back on, but is that reason enough to not totally panic about them? Yeah, it is reason enough to not totally panic about them. And one reason, again, is because if Tony D'Angelo really is out of the picture, there's room for another forward on that top power play unit, even odds on whether it goes to Kreider or Strom or even Lafreniere, probably not Capococco in the picture right now. But one of these guys is probably going to get bumped back up to the top power play unit. So you're going to want to keep an eye on that. As for Kreider specifically, I'm not panicking yet about him playing on the third line. Remember, he's with Zibanejad and Buchnevich all year before uh, being bumped to the third line for like one game. And as you said, Elon, they lost that game. So like we knew going into this season that there's going to be a lot of fluidity in that Rangers depth chart. Uh, So on that side of things, I'm not too worried about him moving around the lineup. Like, this was going to happen. That said, that doesn't explain all of Kreider's challenges this year. He's seen a huge drop in offensive rate stats, and he's done one minute a night at 5-on-5-2, which uh, isn't helping, but that's probably because the Rangers are rolling more of a top nine this year rather than having been limited to rolling only a top six last year. Right, yeah, okay. So you're saying, let's hang on a little longer. Kreider, like, seems to do this also, right? Like, every season, I feel like he has really cold stretches, and then he gets super hot. So if he does get dropped in your league, and you really want to wait till he starts, you know, producing again, make sure you're going to be quick on that trigger, because he could easily go on, like, a run of, like, 15 points in 15 games or something. We see this, like, every single year. Uh, But yeah, like I said, I wanted to talk about Strom and Kreider as the hors d'oeuvres, and the main course is Brian Mika's advantage at, holy cow, to me, the biggest disappointment of the season so far. I know we're only a couple weeks in, but man, he's now pointless in five straight games. I'm really hoping that maybe, I don't know, I'm grasping here, right? Like maybe like waving D'Angelo, like getting that this mess out of the way, hopefully can clear the way for things to maybe reset and get back to next year. Though we've been talking to Short Shifts Ben, and he, as a big Rangers fan, he thinks that Zabanja's playing hurt, and maybe he just isn't capable of being the Zabanja from last year, which really freaks me out because he's supposed to be a cornerstone of my Cupful team. So Brian, I'm scared. Help me feel better. Is Zibanejad going to get back to where what he was last year? Uh, so I can't make you feel better based on what's immediately in front of me about Mika Zibanejad. I said how Kreider was down one minute a night at five on five. Zibanejad is down 90 seconds a night at five on five, which is a pretty substantial drop when it's matched by a really startling drop in rate stats too for Zibanejad. Like he is not playing the same way he was playing last year. And I mean, you guys have heard Ben on short shifts uh, yelling for lack of a better word about what is all going wrong with the Rangers and why nothing's working out. And I just pinged him today to get his thoughts. And Ben uh, mentioned that, you know, there's less line stability uh, in New York right now without Jesper Fast in the lineup, and now Philip Hedl's injured. So uh, that might be hurting Zabanejad and Kreider and company. I guess I still am not directly mentioning Strom, but Strom too. Also, Ben seems to have this theory that Zabanejad is playing injured, which I like. I I don't really know what the basis of that is. It would be a really strange choice for the Rangers to be playing Zabanejad while he's injured at a time where it doesn't seem that critical for their long-term success that Zibanejad plays, or even short-term success. Like, of course, he's a big part of the team. But man, if he's a big part of the team, I want him healthy for years and years and years to come. And I'm okay if he takes some time to heal and get back to 100%. Ben also mentioned that uh, there's a new defense group 
in New York this year. Like there's been a lot of changes on the blue line. And with that comes adjustments with the forward group and things aren't always as smooth in terms of communication between defensemen and forwards and chemistry. So there are lots of reasons to wonder, uh, to at least think that there are things happening in New York that can be fixed. Like they're just temporary. Like Zabanajad and Kreider's rate stats, I don't expect them to wallow at the depths they're at right now. I expect them to bounce back. Uh, it's just a matter of why it's happening. We don't have a firm answer. And so we can't really say when it's going to go back. My theory from the start of the season was that the Rangers were shifting and it goes back to their decision to bench D'Angelo initially is that they had this mentality last season, which was like, okay, we're going to do like, this is working. It's not perfect, but we're going to deal with it because there's not a whole lot else we have going for us. And there's not a whole lot else we want to work towards. But now I think this year, their mentality is more like, hey, we're building that structural foundation that we're going to base our style of play on for the future. And we know David Quinn has shown himself to be uh, pretty hard headed about the style that he wants his players to play and the way we've seen him treat like Kapokako last year who deserved it. But anyway, just saying like, I I feel like there's less uh, room for play and more rigidity in that Rangers structure. And maybe they're just climatizing and getting used to it. And it's just going to take another couple of weeks. Like, I still just attribute this to early season growing pains and adjustments in the ra- for the Rangers. Of course, it's that much more painful to watch if you have any of these guys on your roster in a short season where, you know, a matchup that would normally be one of 22 matchups is now one of 13 matchups before you get to the fantasy playoff. So I know there's this heightened sense of urgency when things aren't going well, but we're still only like nine or 10 games into the season. And I would preach patience if you can't sell these guys off for something similar enough to what their draft value was back on draft day right yeah because we're going to get to a bunch of hot streak guys right where like you know i'm going to be asking you about tyler Toffoli and vincent trocek and like i don't know carter verhage even you know like all of these guys are outperforming zabanjad right now so i guess the the flip question will be is if you try to like get zabanjad with one of your hot players which i think in a normal season would be obvious but in a shortened season like this you do kind of wonder like should i just like stick with the guy who's hot because before we know it you know it's going to be the fantasy playoffs you know in a couple months potentially two three months so it's scary but okay I, at least i feel a little better that uh I agree with you. Like you, he's still shooting, right? So a lot of if, if a couple of more of these pucks just went in the net, if he had a bit of luck, then all of a sudden, you know, we wouldn't be as concerned. So I'm definitely giving him more time, and I'm probably going to give him the rest of the season. But I yeah. really am looking forward to last season Zabanjad to come back to my team. Yeah, I just don't want. I just want to underline, like you're saying, if he just had a little bit of luck, it wouldn't look so bad. You're right. If he just had like average luck, though, which as far as I can tell, he's not far off that. Uh, he still would not be performing up to oh, the standard no. you expected on draft day. Like, he looks worse. Things are bad for Zabino Jad so far. I can't sugarcoat it. Fair. Okay, so let's just move on. Uh, let's sugarcoat this. Anyone who drafted David Pasternak late in their fantasy drafts because, you know, he fell because of that injury, they are partying now because of Pasternak super early, right? He was scheduled to come back mid-February originally when he had that surgery. What is it now? It's not even... You're probably listening to this on February 1st, so like over two weeks in advance potentially and Pasternak returned for the Bruins for that uh, overtime loss to the Washington Capitals on Saturday obviously he got on the score sheet I'm even surprised he only got 
one point, right? He assisted on Charlie McAvoy's tying goal with a minute left in the third. He also took five shots. Obviously, he went right to the top line, top power play. So, I mean, nothing really to say here. Get Pasta in your lineups. Uh, he's going to be amazing because he's David Pasternak. Uh, but I think this is interesting because now we could take a look at the top power play because obviously someone was stepping in uh, and taking his place. And Jake DeBrusque is day-to-day with a lower body injury. And according to Frozen Tools, it was Nick Ritchie on that stacked man advantage unit with the big three forwards and Charlie McAvoy, who we'll get to in a second, for the majority of the power play time on Saturday's game. Uh, and looks like there was also some time where David Krejci bumped McAvoy and there were five forwards on the top power play. So Marshawn, Pasternak, Bergeron, Krejci, and Nick Ritchie. Uh, and actually it was at that time when they were playing with five forwards, they scored a goal uh, and it was Nick Ritchie who scored that power play goal. So I don't know what's going to happen with that power play, but it seems like at least for the short term, Nick Ritchie is going to be there. And Nick Ritchie's goal yesterday was his seventh point in eight games for the Bruins this season. Uh, and also, he's getting like pretty decent even strength deployment, right? He's on the second line with Krejci. It's basically the best you could get on the Bruins because that top line is set in stone. Uh, so at this, are we at a point where like Nick Ritchie would be a really good stream if he's available for at least as long as Jake DeBrusque isn't there? And even if Jake DeBrusque comes back, like is he really going to take Nick? Like, Jake DeBrusque has never produced when given an opportunity on the top power play. Nick Ritchie seems to be crushing it. Obviously, like this could be like two weeks from now. We'll like even forget that we had talked about Nick Ritchie but right now it would be really hard for me to leave him in free agency if I had a struggling player on my team. I totally hear that. And I want to talk about Nick Ritchie in a second, but I also want to take this opportunity to do a bit of a post-mortem on the Bruins without Pasternak and see what happened, right? Because we were really eager to see what this team would look like with Pasternak out of the lineup, who would get an opportunity, who would actually capitalize on it. And uh, it was Jake DeBrusque and Jack Stanika who combined for two points in a combined 12 games, just the point apiece in their opportunities as top line right winger in Boston, which is just bizarre, right? Like, how could you do nothing from that spot, from two guys? I shared a take actually on Discord inspired by this failure of anyone to do anything uh, who wasn't Pasternak, that I worry if you're in a dynasty league that Boston's drafting mistakes are going to catch up to them really fast as Bergeron and Marchand and Krejci sunset uh, towards the end of their careers. You know, you're getting a small taste already of what Boston looks like post-dynasty with the departure of Krug and Chara. Though also, to be fair, uh, Boston is probably adjusting to that absence and maybe we can't judge them completely on what they look like at this point. But all that said... I know we've talked about in the past guys like uh, Jeremy Swayman and Dan Vladar, who might be great dynasty pickups as potential future goalies for Boston. Uh, if you have them in your dynasty, I don't think it's an awful idea at all to sell them while the team is still competitive. Uh, I'm not sure I like the long-term outlook there at all. And that does relate back to my thoughts on Nick Ritchie, who absolutely deserves a shout out for taking Pasternak's spot as the third most productive forward in Boston while Pasta was on the shelf. He scored four times on 18 shots, so his shooting percentage was greater than 20%. However, four of those goals came on the power play. Uh, he had six power play points, and that's over eight games, which is great. So we can forgive a slightly higher shooting percentage or a much higher shooting percentage than we'd expect because he is scoring these goals on the power play that said, this is the first we're ever seeing of this from Nick Ritchie. He's already got a career high in power play goals and the second highest power play total in his career with those six power play points in eight games. He's three points shy of his career high, nine power play points in a season. Uh, so 
like, what do we expect from him going forward? And why are we suddenly seeing this? Well, you look at what's changed from last year uh, when he was in Anaheim. So now he has an upgraded power play role in Boston. Plus he upgraded in centerman from Adam Henrique to David Krejci at five on five, which he hasn't really made the most of yet. Uh, but that's still good news. It's good news to play with David Krejci. We actually liked Nick Ritchie and talked about him semi-regularly on the show a few years back as a guy who had some potential, uh, but then he never got the opportunity. At some point, we assumed he just wasn't getting opportunities because he wasn't good enough to earn them. But now Nick Ritchie's seeing a career-high time on ice, the best center he's ever played with, top power play role in seven points in eight games. These are all reasons to give Ritchie another chance as at least a streamer on your roster. Am I expecting a ton of production at five on five, uh, given that he has just one five on five point so far this year? No, I'm not. Am I open to it? Yes, because David Krejci. Uh, so he's not a guy that I'm like desperate to go and rush out for, especially because he could lose that top power play spot. But if you're looking for a couple bottom roster pieces to try out this week in a league that's about, you know, 200, 250 players deep, Nick Ritchie qualifies as a reasonable option for a streamer so long as he's on the top power play in Boston. Yeah, like he's top power play and it's like on the top power play, like in the league, you know, one of the yeah. best ones out there. So it's definitely a spot you want. The, another thing I took from everything you said there is you freaking love David Krejci, right? You came, like, you David Krejci, <laughs> this guy who's like in free agency in all of my leagues <laughs> and no one is adding him. And you're talking about how like Nick Ritchie, like he definitely still could do something at even strength because he's playing with David Krejci. I'd love to see David Krejci do something actually, but I won't even bug you about David him. David Krejci, <laughs> so how, what point pace do you think he had last season? Like 50, 60? 60-point pace, the season before, 74-point pace. Every season, for the last decade plus, he's been somewhere between 55 and 75 points. One of the top assisters in the NHL. I've I've been through this. I know, we've done this. the last decade. (laughs) Right now, he has six points in eight games. Sure, he doesn't shoot a ton, a couple shots a game, no peripherals, but he's also on the top power play. He's also seeing a huge bump in ice time compared to uh, the past few years in Boston. And the thing with him is he's never been that relevant. And I know you didn't want to get me going on David Krejci, but you Mm -hmm. asked for it. Uh, He's never had anyone to play with on the second line. And so he hasn't gotten the credit he's deserved for having been as productive as he has been from line two for as long as he has been. And I, like, have always wished, like, I've always thought, like, I've given up on Jake DeBrusque because he's not doing anything with David Krejci. I'm hoping against hope that Nick Ritchie will. But are you telling me that if nobody can do anything with David Krejci, then maybe David Krejci is the problem? <laughs> I'm not saying anything like that. It's just, <laughs> I don't care. Like, I know he's had a great career. He's good. You know just better saying. than to challenge me on David Krejci. <laughs> anyway. I'm into Richie. If Richie and Krejci were both available in a league that was like multi-category, like Krejci's assist every, uh, you know, two out of every three games isn't doing it for me. And I, I would definitely go with Richie for now. But obviously not like I'm saying he's going to be a season long hold and he's like a sure thing, but he's a great free agent. We're going to be talking about a lot of players who are like in good positions on their teams. Some that like not doing as well as Nick Richie has been doing. So maybe we can keep a little running tally, which I always say and then forget. Uh, but let's quickly talk about this top power play, right? You said Krejci's on the power play. So he was for a bit of the last game. He also wasn't for a bit when Krejci Krejci wasn't there, uh, so Matt Grizzlick is injured, right? So th- that's the main story here. I think the Bruins' plan is to have Grizzlick quarterback in the top power play. He's been doing that job every game that he's been healthy, but unfortunately, that's been tough for him. He already missed time earlier just this past week. Then he came back on Thursday, got injured again. So who knows when he'll be back this time. Uh, in the meantime, I was thinking, all right, it's Charlie McAvoy time. Finally, we've been waiting for it. Uh, and right away, they go to this five-forward uh, situation. Still, like, McAvoy is doing well. He had a goal and an assist on Saturday, a power play point in each of his 
his previous three games before that. So it's not as if McAvoy's not doing very well. He's up to seven points in eight games after going uh, pointless for the first four games of the season. So that just goes to show how good he's been in this last week. Um, yeah, like, I don't know what to ask now. I was going to ask, like, is it time to consider McAvoy like a top-end D-man, right? Because if he's on this top power play, the same one that we're talking about is so great for Nick Ritchie. But McAvoy, as we know, has already been great at getting points at even strength. Uh, now, I guess there's this little asterisk. But I almost wonder if that's just a great opportunity to buy a little lower uh, right now than you would have to. Because you can say, oh, look at this Roto World post about how the Bruins are trying five forwards on the power play. Because, like, I've never seen a team stick with this for more than a game or two. And we've seen some examples throughout the year. So maybe this will be the first time ever that it team sticks with five forwards on the power play for more than a game but i wouldn't bet on it so and with grizzlick having all these injury issues i think mcavoy is primed he's already doing it like i think he's primed to have a huge breakout season and uh i'd be trying to get him if i could for sure i i don't know i have much more to add i i don't think you're gonna find a really great buy low window because the bruins rolled five forwards on the power play we already know also that anyone who rosters mcavoy is probably already like pretty pleased with him uh he's already Pretty valuable thanks to great peripheral numbers, or I should say good peripheral numbers, with that 40-45 point potential even off the top power play. On the top power play, you can bump your expectations to be up above a 50-point full season pace. Of course, my hunch is still that McAvoy doesn't hold this role once Grizzlick returns, but we also don't know when that'll be at this point. Of course, all the stuff that we don't know, like the Rangers situation and now Grizzlick's injury, uh, you can listen to short shifts. Two episodes in the middle of the week, they'll fill you in. Yeah, great job, Ben and Lewis, on the short trips. I've been enjoying it. And yeah, uh, McAvoy, it's like a fun season this year. One thing I like is all these new top power play defense that we've been waiting for. So like McAvoy's getting a shot, Aaron Ekblad getting that shot over in Florida, like Adam Fox on the Rangers. Like we've been waiting for some new blood in these spots and finally we're seeing how they do. And so far, like all of them seem to be doing pretty well. So, okay, uh, let's take a quick break right now. And thank one of the sponsors for this week's episode of Keeping Carlson, which are our friends over at Underdog. We've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. Underdog is freaking awesome. Like, if you like fantasy hockey, and if you like playing fantasy hockey for money, then you need to check out Underdog, because they've got it all, right? They've got daily drafts, which is super fun, right? Because drafting is one of the most fun parts of playing fantasy. You only get to do it once a year. But with Underdog, you get to do a draft for all the players that are playing just that night. Like, I don't know why more people haven't thought of this. It's, like, really fun to do. They also have these pick'ems, which are a blast. Like, just a whole bunch of prop bets, basically. You know, like, oh, Sidney Crosby, is he going to get a goal tonight or not? And they're like, you know, and then you just, and the more you get right, the more you can win. Uh, it's it's a blast. It's really fun. Like I said, uh, the team at Underdog is most of the same that built and sold Draft.com, which we talked about on the show way back when. Uh, uh, Brian, I've been playing underdog. I've been having fun. I haven't been like the most successful so far. I think I'm more of like a long-term thinker, but it's still it's still fun to just like watch as uh, see how my players do throughout the night. I want you to tell our listeners how they can get this awesome game and have fun just like I've been. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all you need to do is look up Underdog Fantasy in your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com. And then after you make your first deposit, Enter our code Carlson, which will first off tell them we sent you and support the show that way. But second off, with our code, they'll honor this money back guarantee that they're making to our listeners, which is that they are so sure our listeners will love the underdog app that during your first month, uh, you better love it or they'll re, well, that sounded threatening. Either you love it in your first month or underdog is going to refund you all you've put into it up to $100. That's promo code Carlson. Again, look up Underdog Fantasy in your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com. All right, so we've still got lots of fantasy discussion to get to, and we'll talk to you about it in just a sec. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. 
With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and we're back. Again, we're in the outjuries section of the show. We've talked about a pretty high-impact one in David Pasternak, so we're going to go a few tiers down here, but still talk about some players that I think are interesting and also some other players on their team that have been piquing my interest lately. Let's go to New Jersey. Uh, Jesper Bratt has been back with the Devils for three games now, and he picked up his first point of the season uh, today on Sunday, assisting on Andreas Janssen's first period goal in the game versus the Buffalo Sabres, which the Devils won. Uh, Obviously, Jesper Bratt sounds kind of boring, but I feel like he's definitely worth mentioning. He's been slotting in on the top line and the top power play with Jack Hughes, uh, Hughes and Janssen at even strength. Uh, Brat has shown glimpses of fantasy relevance over the last couple of years. And now with this deployment, I feel, and like today's assist, and like three shots on goal today, I feel like he's someone that needs to be on our radar. Brian, is, is Jesper Brat on your watch lists or even someone that you've considered adding to any of your teams? Briefly, yeah. And he's been there for the last year or two. Also, I don't know if you remember, you probably do. He broke out onto the scene with a few goals and a few games. And we were watching to see how much exactly he could do in a top six role. And we saw at the end, uh, we sort of settled that he seems to be more of a complimentary player in the top six until further notice. You were talking about Jake DeBrusque. I'd have Brett ahead of DeBrusque, but not by much because he's had these opportunities and hasn't really been able to show himself to be a reliable producer. Also, it's great that he plays with Jack Hughes. I believe in Jack Hughes being great. I am all aboard the Jack Hughes train, 
But Jack Hughes now has just two points in his last six games. So if you're going for the guy playing with Jack Hughes because he's playing with Hughes, then maybe you think twice about it. I, I don't think it's going to be this way all year for Hughes, but I could see him being streaky and harder still for him to really produce and that whole line to produce until Nico Hishier is back to ease some of the pressure off of that top line in New Jersey. So uh, there are reasons to go after Jesper Bratt. None of them are terribly compelling to me or any more compelling than they have been over the last couple of seasons where I've generally left him alone. Okay, so maybe you wait for a good schedule, but definitely have Brad on your watch list, and let's see if he can build on this one assist he got today. Uh, Brad, by the way, I definitely wasn't bringing up Jake DeBrusque. I'm over Jake DeBrusque. I brought up Nick Ritchie, who I feel like I would still take over, yes, for Brad at this point. But yeah, put DeBrusque at the bottom of the list. You know who I would take above (laughs) both those guys? Who? David Krejci. David Krejci. Okay, so another guy, I was actually going to bring him up. Now I guess we have new news. I was going to bring up Kyle Palmieri, who's been kind of a snoozer. He's been not on this, like, top line. He's definitely, like, waiting for Nico Hischer to come back, right? Like, that's where he's shown over the past few seasons. Uh, but he's been on a line with Nikita Gusev and Pavel Zaka, not having a great start to the year, only three assists in eight games going into today, which he didn't play because now he is on the COVID protocol list which is a very sad thing to hear this year. Um, We've been hearing it for a lot of the players on our fantasy teams making the season very, very tricky. So who even knows now when Kyle Palmieri will return? Like, who we don't know yet. Like, you know, if he's tested positive or not, or if he just was, like, in contact with someone. So we'll wait and see. But in the meantime, I was going to ask you if maybe people should consider dropping Kyle Palmieri. I guess now they don't need to. They should hopefully be able to just stash him in their IRs. But is this a situation where, like, when he comes back, I guess you don't have to dig too deep into him, but is he someone that, like, you know, you're worried about and maybe what? As close to being a drop before he went into the COVID protocol? Or were you like not worried because every year he's around a 55, 60 point guy? And why not just expect him to get back to that at least at uh, the worst case when Nikhil Heischer comes back? Yeah, it's just a matter of when's that going to happen and what can Palmieri do in the meantime? I have Kyle Palmieri on my Cupful team and was looking at trade options with him a couple nights ago because of this crummy week I've had. Uh, Palmieri has been so disappointing this year as a guy who I drafted uh, begrudgingly, kind of, because that high ceiling is not there. But I-, I tried to take a different tack with some of my picks this year, and I valued Palmieri as a safe boring, nice floor player who would knock my socks off, but who I wouldn't have to worry about so much for that. Uh, but while researching trade options and thinking, okay, like, is it time to to part with him and see what I can get back? I see that he's actually doing pretty well under the hood. Five on five, he's only been on the ice for three goals, four, and he and his line mates are shooting six and a half percent, which is low. And of course, Palmieri has not gotten in on any of those three goals uh, at five on five. Palmieri himself also has no goals on 14 five on five shots, no goals on 21 total shots. Meanwhile, while nothing's working for him, He's not like Zubanejad and Kreider because he's putting up career high offensive rates across the board at five on five. We're talking shot rates. We're talking expected goals rates, the whole kit and caboodle. So I still think Palmieri's going to be okay. And that makes him actually potentially a decent buy low target rather than a sell low target. Uh, that said, like you said, and I said already about Palmieri, he might need to wait for Hishir to return before he can actually break through. And we're really unclear about what Hishu's timeline to return is. We did get an update recently from Lindy Ruff that said, and I quote, uh, his progress has been good and we'll get him back as soon as he feels well enough to play this as Hishu, but he's had no setbacks and is progressing. And it's just like, okay, he's had no setbacks since his leg injury in December, but what would, like, no setbacks from what? What's the timeline here? Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea how to, how to take that. So, so frustrating. 
It's really frustrating. So we're looking at Palmieri. We're looking at Gusev. We're looking at Jesper Bratt. We're looking at Jack Hughes. All these guys, I think, are going to be positively impacted when he shears back and are going to struggle a bit for as long as he's out. So I I just wish I knew a little bit more about his situation to know how long I'm going to have to bide my time with these Jersey guys. Yeah, maybe in the meantime, maybe just cut bait, right? Because like, if you're worried that maybe other people in your league would be worried too and won't you know, you could just get the player back when he sure comes back. Maybe if you're fastest on the trigger. Uh, one guy who's been really good is Ty Smith. I wasn't planning on bringing him up today, but another assist today for Ty Smith. What a great rookie season for this guy. I think he's leading all rookies in scoring at this point. I don't think anyone had that on their uh, bingo card going into the year. Uh, another quick thing about uh, the Devils, uh, Mackenzie Blackwood. They're still We're still waiting for him to come back. He's been on the COVID list. Uh, it's nice, though, to see that Scott Wedgwood hasn't been as terrible as I expected. Eric Comrie played today against the Sabres and got the win. Also was fine, like 30 saves out of 33 shots again. So, and, oh, and they have Aaron Dell coming up. So I remember we were worried about, like, Brian, I remember when I was asking you about with Corey Crawford ending up not deciding to play the season and retiring, we were like, oh, maybe now we're worried about Mackenzie Blackwood because he's going to have to carry the load and he'll probably get tired out. Maybe they have some backup situation set up for him where he won't have to play like every single game. So that's kind of nice. I feel like this Devils team, if they could just get healthy, I, I've been saying it all year, right? I think they're looking good, but obviously like they're still able to somehow win games even with Hishier gone and Blackwood gone. So I'm curious to see what'll happen once everyone's healthy. I think this could be a surprising team, but let's go now to the Calgary Flames. Another, oh, oh you want to respond? Of course, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to point out like Wedgwood has been uh, like, I don't know. You, you think he's been good? Like, I'm fine. Just... He's been like, if this was the backup, that's fine. Like, they don't have to. It's not guaranteed. Like, I feel like all you want. I don't is think for the he's ba- an NHL backup. Like, <laughs> this is the reason the Devils went out and got Corey Crawford and have tried Keith Kincaid because Scott Wedgwood, aside from the first three games of his career when he was in nine, he stopped 91 of the first 93 shots he faced in the NHL. And I still remember talking about it on the podcast. It was all very exciting, but he's shown nothing since then to us or I think his organization. I think Eric Comrie could be the more legit backup option for the devil. So if you do think that they're going to try and spell Blackwood a little more often, maybe Eric Comrie is where you look. I it. Like, I don't think this changes the equation a whole lot, though, until we see that either of these guys is actually capable. And like I said, I don't have Scott Wedge uh, a whole lot of faith in Scott yeah, Wedge being the guy. I guess it's just like not necessarily guaranteed last night, but it's not it's not great. And they have Aaron Dell also. So I feel like they could just like run all these three goalies through the taxi squad whenever they need to rest Blackwood and hopefully get someone who can put a decent game together. Uh, but OK. Oh, by the way, uh, Miles Wood had a huge game today. So I don't know. I, we could keep mentioning Devils, but let's probably move on. But Wood is someone that I definitely have on my radar. I don't know. I didn't have a question prepared for him, but like uh, I have him in my dynasty league. and He's been great. But I wanted to go now to Calgary. Another out jury that sounds like a nobody. Right, Dylan Dubé returned to the Flames on Saturday after missing three games but he jumped right on a line with Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm which is pretty sweet uh, no points uh, only one shot so I guess you know I don't even think it's worth like discussing him too much but I'd probably just throw him in the pile of like watch list for deployment but we probably need to see something first uh you know along with like Jesper Bratt right yeah and you're bearing the lead here which means like with Dubé's deployment that you already mentioned Andrew Mangiapane's on the top line with this happening 
Okay, yeah. So I guess I guess some people might consider even the Kachuk Lindholm Dubé line as the top line, but sure. Or you could also say Manjipani, Goudreau, and Monahan. Uh, either way, yeah, it's a good spot for Manjipani. He hasn't done anything, so to me, he's like Dylan Dubé, right? Like I'm interested. It seems like a good spot. They're not on the top power play, so I'm not going to expect a huge ceiling. But they're on a decent line. You'd think they could be a good spot starter. But are either of these guys people that you'd consider actually rostering more than just a spot start at this point? Like Calgary plays Monday, Tuesday, so it seems like a good time to grab Dubé or Manjipani and see what happens. But uh, to be honest, I'm. Still Still not expecting much at this point. It's been a while since we've seen someone not named Kachuk, Lindholm, Monahan, or Goudreau do anything as a forward on the Calgary Flames. I guess maybe Backlund for a little bit, but that already feels like a long time ago. It has been a while, and there hasn't been a whole lot of depth scoring in Calgary this year. Manjapane, we sort of, or at least I did, I, I pumped him up before the start of the season, being like, he's had a lot of success with Kachuk, especially towards the end of last season. And I was looking forward to him taking a step forward. This year, just one point in seven games, taking a shot and a half a game, which is actually pretty normal for him. But it just means that he's giving you absolutely nothing with just one assist in seven games. So I I like the, the idea that maybe there's a chance he gets going on the top line. I think there's a good chance he gets going even if he lands back on the second line with Matthew Kachuk. But in the meantime, he's not really rosterable. Uh, but I think for a Monday, Tuesday schedule, Manjapane and Dubé are like equally interesting as brief streamers. I predict that in total, they'll have one point between the two of them in those two games. So you're not streaming either of them? I mean, I don't know. If you can pick the right guy and you get a point, that's pretty good, I guess. Depends on what my other options are. Uh, of course, bringing up Dubé, Brian, I wasn't going to like do an early, like we're still not even an hour into the show. Why am I bringing up a boring guy like Dylan Dubé? It was just a clever ruse to get you to talk about the real guy I'm interested in asking you about, which is 37-year-old Mark Giordano, who, after going pointless for the last couple of games, is down to only three points in seven games on the season. Uh, we've long been discussing now that he's been bumped from the top power play by Rasmus Anderson all season long. I already talked about Rasmus Anderson a lot last week with Steve Laidlaw. By the way, Brian, Steve Laidlaw stepped in uh what you were on the uh dl or the ir for a short moment and layla wow what a great show so thanks again to steve for coming on and he and i talked about rasmus anderson we already told you to add rasmus anderson so we're not going to relitigate that unless you have a really hot take there i'm more interested in getting your take on what to do with giordano because he's also seeing lower ice time than last year like i'm seeing that he's averaging 21 minutes and 39 seconds a game versus almost 24 minutes last year which has led to his block pace decreasing as well like the one reason to hold on to someone like giordano even when he's not getting points is he always was great for blocks that doesn't seem to be the case as much this year uh so brian like going into the season we talked about giordano and you had faith in him bouncing back from his big drop to a 42 point pace in 2019-20 i assume you don't feel that strongly about that anymore and if anything i'm curious to know like do you think he could at least match that 42 point pace that he had last year because currently he's pacing for even less Yeah, it's been a really ugly season for Mark Giordano so far, and not only because he's not on the top power play. That was half expected. We knew there was a lot of challengers, and we didn't know if he'd be on it the first game and then off shortly after or off entirely. Uh, It seems like it's been the latter, which is a real bummer. But the even bigger bummer is that Giordano is also seeing fewer minutes total, and in those minutes, his block rates have dropped. Like he's, he's not only blocking less because he's playing less. He's blocking less in the time that he is afforded, which we did kind of anticipate before the season, or at least thought 
allowed about because Giordano's 37 years old and maybe that has an impact on the physical pieces of his game. Uh, but I, I feel like what we've seen from him so far this season is a pretty fair representation of what to expect going forward. You know, I'd have had him around 55 points upside from more with that top power play deployment. But with that gone, I'll take 40 points from Giordano and hope for good peripherals, kind of like uh, a power play to McAvoy type of player. I'm just hoping Mm. he can actually come through with it, though, because what I thought... Like Paul Mary, and again, you've heard me talk about my garbage Kakupfold team all week. I might have the lowest score in the entire Kakupfold this week. Uh, I had a lot of guys not show up, and a lot of guys like Paul Mary and like Giordano, who seem to have these safe floors and are falling through them. So I am officially worried about Giordano, and if he doesn't step it up and start blocking sh- more shots and maybe throwing another hit or two here and there, uh, he is dangerously on the fringe of not being rosterable. Yeah, so you've heard it here first. It sounds like Brian's saying maybe give him another week or two, hope for something to change, but maybe you know don't expect much. Uh, it doesn't seem like too much is going to change, especially if his ice time stays the same. So kind of a bummer for anyone who took Giordano somewhat high in their drafts. Uh, one good player you're happy about is obviously Jacob Markstrom. 37 save shutout versus the Habs yesterday. Holy cow. I saw some stats. Like, apparently the Habs like totally dominated this game, but because of Jacob Markstrom, uh, the Flames got the 2-0 win. He's up to a 9.29 save percentage in six games now. And this is in the dreaded Canadian division that everyone was like afraid of having goalies in. And yet Markstrom has been like uh, phenomenal gotta imagine he's a early Vesna candidate at this point so just like again i don't really have a question here but wow bonanza uh markstrom what what way to go i had a i don't know i was a little not like concerned but i was a little bit like oh maybe he's a little overrated going into the season but like right now you can't say that he seems like one of the best goalies in the league yeah, Jacob Markstrom sure it continues to look like the real deal because he already looked that way last year and for parts of his career before that. I definitely imagine there are some Canadian division counterparts like Vancouver and Edmonton who I think had a shot at landing Jacob Markstrom and might rue the day that they did not make a bigger run at getting him on their teams now that it's really being rubbed in their faces that they have to play Calgary and Markstrom over and over and over again uh, with their own goaltending troubles to still try and remedy. Yeah, so good for anyone who drafted Markstrom, uh, including me in the cuckoo But I'm still going to lose this week, probably, so I'm not going to get too excited. But uh, okay, so let's go to now injuries. Strap in, everyone. We've got a ton of them. A lot of them just from like Saturday's games. Like I was already kind of preparing the show that it was just like injury after injury. We got to start in Carolina. Petter Morazic suffered what looked like a broken or at least like a dislocated thumb early in the game versus Dallas on Saturday. James Reimer stepped in, stopped 10 of 11 shots for the easy 4-1 win. And when you think when you hear like he stepped in and stopped 10 of 11 shots, you might be thinking like, oh, he must have come mid-game. Like, no, that was like every shot of the game, which is kind of crazy that Dallas only took 11 shots in that game. But anyways, Reimer stopped 10 of them. Had a good game. Uh, then he got the game today in a rematch versus Dallas, and the Stars took a few more shots. They actually took 29 shots, and Reimer stopped 26 of them. Uh, but uh, Carolina still got the win, 4-3. So that's two wins in a row now for James Reimer. And, like, the news has been that, like, Morazic, like, it's not as bad as it could have been. So maybe it's, like, closer to this being, like, dislocated versus broken. Still got to imagine that he's going to miss a week or two or three. I don't know. Uh, as, as long as he's out... James Reimer is probably your volume goalie on a good team in this Carolina Hurricanes team. So you've got to add him in pretty much any format, right? Like, I can't think of a reason why not. Like, yeah, Reimer's not like the best goalie in the world, but he's also shown that he's pretty solid and good. And if he's going to be a volume starter on this, like, really strong team, then why not go and grab him? 
For sure. I just want to clarify one piece. When you say volume starter, keep in mind that that doesn't mean the same thing necessarily in Carolina as it does in other NHL cities. And that's because they are one of the best shot suppressing teams in the league right now. Only Boston allows fewer shot attempts per 60 minutes against. And they're both Carolina and Boston in kind of a league of their own. Like it's a pretty big jump to the next team. It's not a huge jump, but anyway, then Vegas, Dallas, Colorado, Pittsburgh are the next best teams at shot suppression. So the downside of that is when Reimer gives up two goals in a night, he's down to like a 900 save percentage. Like it's really easy for him to win games and still be like an 885 goalie. So that's one thing to look out for. Uh, we should mention though, Peter Mrazek was doing amazing this season. He leads the league early on in Delta Fenwick save percentage. He's having a really good season. Elon, if I had to just ask you to guess what Mrazek's save percentage was over four games so far this season, what would you say? Uh, maybe like 9.55 around there. Oh, you're such a butt. Yeah, it's <laughs> 9.55. So Mrazik's been doing really well, facing few shots. I think Reimer can probably do the same. Alex Ndelkovic is going to be the backup. I could see Carolina still, maybe, trying to keep Reimer's workload light and seeing what Ndelkovic can handle. Uh, but of course, Reimer is a number one or at worst a 1A right now on a good team who's going to put up, uh, who's going to be able to grab wins more often than not when he plays and can put up decent numbers the rest of the time. Yeah, like maybe Djokovic gets a game or two, but I I don't think they're in a situation, like this is a team that's trying to win the cup this year, right? So they're going to try to give themselves the best chance to win game in, game out, I would think. All right, so that's the goalie in Carolina. Let's go look at some forwards now. So Tevo Teravainen has still been on the COVID list uh, the whole time. Uh, and of course, Andrei Sveshnikov and Sebastian Ajo are the top Canes forwards with Teravainen out of the picture. They have six and five points apiece in the five games going into today. I guess I could actually give you guys an update on if, I mean, let's let's assume Carolina scored four times. I'm going to assume Ajo Okay, Aho and assist. Svech- oh, nothing for Svechnikov. Okay, I'm surprised. Anyways, they're great. Uh, I remember we did a show with Fantasy Hockey Podcast going into the season, and they were really worried about Svechnikov not being worth his ADP. Um, at this point, he's like a point per game. So we'll see if he can keep it up. I remember like we were discussing, yeah, maybe he could be a point per game, but does he have upside for more? Uh, obviously, too early to tell. Carolina hasn't played many games because of all those postponements. Uh, so it's obviously worth mentioning with Teravine and out, like Brock McGinn has been on that top line with the two studs, Aho and Svechnikov. For the last couple of games, he's done nothing. And doesn't really matter because apparently, according to Roto World, Teravine may be back as soon as Tuesday. So we might just get back to Teravine, Svechnikov, Aho as things should be. So there you go. So forget about Brock McGinn. The guy I really want to ask you about is Vincent Trocek, who's been centering the second line with Nichas and Nino Niederreiter. He's been playing with the big guns on the top power play, and he's doing so good. Like, on Saturday, he had two goals, including a power play goal and a power play assist versus Dallas. Uh, like, what did he do today? I guess I could bring this up. Okay, so no points today, but still, like, he's putting up points. It's kind of reminding me, like, of a t- okay, I'm thinking, like, okay, Vincent Trocek, second line center top power play with a bunch of studs that kind of sounds like what was going on back in 2017-18 when he put up 31 goals and 75 points uh brian does is that trocheck potentially back like is this a situation where we're we're you know he just wasn't getting the opportunity we were always saying remember when he was struggling on florida those last couple years well yeah he's been bumped from the top power play that's where he got a huge source of his points he's back there now it's going well do you think this is sustainable or is this like the perfect moment to be reaching out to the Zabanajet owner and trying to pull a fast one and pull in Mika for Vincent Trocek, who is for sure going to not be able to keep up this production? Good luck doing that. If you can pull it off, by all means, go for it. Uh, like, that's not to say that what Trocek's doing is not 
completely sustainable. Like, I'm not going to say you're wrong about all you've said. I will say a few things are true. First is that, yes, he's on the second line. Yes, Trocek's on the top power play. Uh, Trocek is also seeing more ice than last year. Trocek is putting up some outstanding rate stats under the hood. All of this is true while Trocek is putting up some unsustainably high point participation, which is a new way that I'm going to frame IPP, which refers to, of all the goals scored on the ice, how many uh, that Trocek gets a point on. And I have to credit John Newhold, who co-hosted the auction episode with uh, sharing that frame with me. So yeah, unsustainably high point participation for Trocek and a shooting percentage that's two or three times what he's had in previous season. Where this all balances out to, I don't know exactly, but it definitely looks like Trocek is going to have better season than he had last year. He's not going to continue on exactly this torrid pace and has some room to regress. But at the same time, we are seeing a Vincent Trocek that we really haven't seen. And we've been watching for him, right? Even before his big breakout season. It was like, oh yeah, this is a guy who can do stuff between 55 and 60 points, seems to be in a good spot. And then he was hit really hard by some low shooting percentage and like loss of role and deployment over the last couple seasons. Even when he got to Carolina in the trade for Eric Halla, it was kind of disappointing to see what he had to offer. So I'm glad that he seems to have found some of his mojo and is showing it off. And I think his value this year is probably going to be the second highest it's ever been. Yeah, and obviously with Tara Vinen back, there's always the possibility that these lines will change. Who knows? Maybe Trocek gets Vetchnikov as a winger and Aho Tara Vinen. So I don't know. I don't want to speculate. We'll find out on Tuesday. So definitely check the lines. I'm sure the short shifts guys will bring it up if something really interesting is happening with the deployment in Carolina. Uh, another guy who you might consider trying to trade Trocek for if you want to try to buy low on someone. we got to talk about Evgeny Malkin. Uh, but actually, we're in injuries. So I, I forgot. This is my ruse again. We're going to start with the injury, then get to Malkin because his teammate who's very injury-prone, just like Evgeny Malkin. Actually, Chris Letang, he hobbled off to the locker room after a corner battle with Adam Fox halfway through the first period on Saturday versus the Rangers, and he did not return. Uh, this is not a rerun episode of Keeping Carlson. You are listening to the January 31st, 2021. It's just yet another Chris Letang injury. Actually, last year he was pretty healthy, I think, for the most part. But yeah, he's off. Uh, who knows how long he'll be out. I don't have an update that I've seen at, at this point on Sunday night. Uh, looks like both John Marino and a rookie named Pierre-Olivier Joseph, they say equal time on the power play in this game versus the Rangers, just uh, over a couple minutes each. Both also saw an uptake in ice time, and they produced. Like, Marino finally got his first point of the season. He assisted on a Jake Gensel third-period tying goal. And Pierre-Olivier Joseph played 25 minutes and 58 seconds and picked up three assists, including on Crosby's overtime winner. Uh, So none of these points were on the power play. So, Brian, what's our advice right now? Like, I'd imagine, generally, when Latang gets injured, we're telling people to rush to grab the Pittsburgh defenseman, generally like Justin Schultz, right? But he's not around anymore. Is there, like, <laughs> Marino or Joseph? We don't even know who's going to be on the top power play. Uh, so, yeah, do you like one of these guys more than the other? Do you think they're both, like, a 50-50 shot? Also, who is Pierre-Olivier Joseph? I hadn't even heard of this guy before yesterday. I mean, I answer all those questions, but I don't want to just gloss over Chris Latang for any of his suffering managers who have watched him just have this before this injury, even healthy. I actually think this injury is good news for a Latang owner because you don't have to decide what to do with him. Just pop him in IR 
because of the just brutal year he's having. Uh, three points in nine games, only one point with the man advantage, and his shot rates have dropped on top of that. The eye test has also looked really bad from what I've seen. He and Malkin, neither one of them looks like themselves, and that's why they're being outscored by like Jared McCann and Teddy Bluger. So uh, <laughs> it's probably a nice respite for anyone managing him uh, who's got nothing from Latanga early on. And I-, I guess the other side is that, oh, good, and now he just got injured, which is classic Latang, but maybe it'll give him some time to uh, heal and get better and come back a different player than he's been for the first nine games of the season. That said, now we need to look to these replacements you've mentioned, uh, like Pierre-Olivier Joseph and John Marino. Uh, first, I'll share what Josh Yohe said in The Athletic. Uh, he's the Pittsburgh beat writer there. He said that uh, Joseph looks like Marino did at this time last season in that he's confidently emerging as this legit NHL option who can take on roles in minutes. And for anyone wondering, who is Pierre-Olivier Joseph? He is a first-round pick of the Arizona Coyotes back in 2017. They grabbed him 23rd overall, started his career with 17 points in 52 games in his first pro season with Wilkes. Barry Scranton of the AHL. He got to Pittsburgh from Arizona in, you might know, the Phil Kessel trade. Wow, look at that. Suddenly we're seeing some of the uh, results from the deal. Elon, can you name one other piece from that trade? Oh man, I thought the big piece was just unloading Kessel's contract. (laughs) They also got this like big minute defenseman. I don't know. I don't remember who else came. I know. It was uh, Alex Galchenyuk. Was oh, also, right. was yeah, also yeah, involved yeah. and a guy named Dane Burks and a 2021 fourth round pick. But I guess Pierre Olivier Joseph might have been the centerpiece of the deal coming from Arizona. And now we're seeing why he's never seemed like looking at his junior numbers. He's never seemed to be a, like a huge scorer, but I'm open to him being a top power play quarterback for sure. So I would take a shot. I'm Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Meanwhile, John Marino, we sort of assumed that this would be a great chance for him to make his case to step into Latang's skates because of all the rumors that Pittsburgh would like to move on from Chris Latang. And even with Jim Rutherford leaving, apparently, uh, like he left suddenly earlier this week and I saw one rumor, unsubstantiated, that it had to do with his desire to move Latang, uh, and which would have opened the spot anyway. And we thought that would mean Good things for John Marino, but John Marino has not looked uh, like Pierre-Olivier Joseph this year or John Marino last year. Uh, he seems to be struggling a little more when he's on the ice and not looking as solid all around. So if I had to pick one guy to take a chance on, I'll take the guy who already put up points last night in Pierre-Olivier Joseph and see if that can continue. Uh, yeah, I think... I'll respectfully disagree. If I had to pick someone right now, I'd take Marino. But obviously, I, once you see some line combinations, that will illuminate things. Like, I, I just, I'm going to, you know, feast on the bigger sample size from last year of Marino rather than the start of this year. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a brand new situation now. So it'll be really interesting to see. And like, yeah, Pittsburgh maybe should have listened to Rutherford, trade Latang before he got injured. Now they'd have no Latang and the return in that trade instead of now having uh, nothing. But anyways, Latang might be fine. We haven't even heard uh, prognosis yet. He might be back next week for all we know. But okay, like I teased, I want to ask you about Evgeny Malkin another guy like Zibanejad who's been pretty unmalkany so far this season like better than Zibanejad right he has some points he has a goal and three assists in nine games so far uh to be fair he was pointless in his first three so it's four points in six games since then not terrible but not 
like Evgeny Malkin like like you expect him to be like amazing he's also shooting less than usual Brian like are you seeing any red flags under the hood for Malkin or is this like just an obvious like hold steady he's fine bad luck whatever no, no, there's there's red flags everywhere. Malkin has looked bad to the eye and on the score sheet. Jesse Marshoff, actually, from our from your excellent 31 beat series over this past summer, uh, he shared this article on The Athletic where he gave specific video examples of how Malkin has looked disengaged and like he's just trying to like fly away on offense the second the Penguins get the puck because he's trying to get off the schneid, but it's just making things worse. And, uh, yeah, that's been the season for Evgeny Malkin so far. The thing is that I, I don't know what could be the cause behind this. Like I said, the eye test he fails, he fails uh, in his numbers too, the ones I normally look at. He's seeing drops like Zabanejad. And I just haven't seen any great theories to explain what's going on. It seems like there's something more than just a cold snap happening. What would that even mean? I, I don't know. But it seems like one of those things that's maybe a human thing. You don't just suddenly start being awful at your job that you're normally elite at for no reason. There is some daylight that we've seen recently, though. In Josh Yowie's last article at The Athletic, uh, he said that he saw a couple bursts from Malkin that he hadn't seen all season long and that you'd normally expect from him. So maybe, just maybe, there's reason to be excited. Uh, but I still just don't feel like I have the full story on what exactly is going wrong with Malkin's season so far. So I can't give any special advice other than to well hold. Or if you're feeling antsy, maybe you look at your draft and see, okay, who went one, two, three rounds later and see if there's a deal there that you want to make just to get out from under the risk of holding on to him and him not panning out. But right now I, as somebody who rosters Malkin, I'm not about to do that. I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to give him another week and see what happens. After that, I'll probably give him another week. In the couple, actually, he was just traded uh, in one of our divisions for Oliver Bjorkstrand, which at first I was just like, oh my God, like why? But then I took a moment to think, hmm, would, would I offer that deal? I don't think it's that awful or unjustifiable at this point. Yeah, maybe like you should throw some fab dollars, like a sweetener in there to make it worth it. But yeah, like Bjorkstrand's producing and Malkin isn't producing as much. But I'd obviously still take Malkin. Like, don't get yeah. me wrong. I'd be interested though, Brian, like let's say if you got a trade offer, like you said, like maybe like a, I don't know, Kopitar, who's having a really awesome year or a Pacioretty, who's like, you know, just a really solid producer, especially with his shots on goal and everything. I, I don't know. I'd be, I I wish, I hope it'll happen. Someone in tier two, uh, San Jose, send Brian a reasonable trade offer for Malkin just so I could see him sweat it out and decide if he should take it or not. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I will sweat over it. I looked at the guys who were taking, taken right after I took Malkin. So you've got Taylor Hall, Kyle Connor, JT Miller, Huberto, Tavares, Shifley, Wheeler. And as of this point, I would rather any of those guys for the first two weeks of the season. I'm still not like giving up and thinking I would prefer them over Malkin over the next nine weeks. But uh, yeah, I'm open. Send me an offer. <laughs> Joey in the chat is saying the commentators in the Pens game last night said something about Malkin not getting sufficient gym time because of COVID gym closers. Yeah. I mean, who knows how much validity there is to that playing a factor, but it is a weird season, right? So there might be some players who just have a down year for reasons like that are like this, you know, like they can't hit their normal gym routine and that could maybe make a difference. Like, you know, this is a game. It's like a fast game. Like one small little decrease changes you maybe from a, you know, 90 point player to a 70 point player. So yeah, a very interesting point. And also, 
also that'll be really fun for over the summer, right? Hopefully, the following season we'll go back to. Uh, I mean, I don't want even want to project because who knows? I don't want to jinx it. And I was about to say like next season when it's back to normal, maybe we'll expect these players to bounce back. But who even knows if that's going to be the case? So uh, okay, that's the uh, no. What am I talking about? That's not even done with injuries. We're not even close to being done injuries, unfortunately. The next guy I want to talk about is Matt Dumba, who took a really ugly looking fall after getting tangled with Jordan Greenway in the third period on Saturday uh, for the Wild. Uh, it looked scary. I, I don't know. It looked like his leg turned the wrong way. Didn't really enjoy watching that clip, to be honest. Uh, so Dumba had cooled down. Like he had a hot start to the year. He had like a couple good games to start. We were like, "Ooh, is it Dumba time this year? Is he going to get back to what we were expecting?" Uh, but he was actually pointless in six games before scoring a goal and taking five shots versus Colorado before getting hurt. That's all. That's like the worst, right? Like you finally break out of your slump. You're having a good game, and then you get hurt, and who knows how long he'll be out again? We don't know. He's on the IR right now. I'm expecting it's going to be quite a bit of time. Uh, so I guess this means we're going to be seeing a lot of Ryan Suter and Jared Spurgeon on the top power play. I don't know how exciting <laughs> that is for you. Like, regardless, they were already there anyway, so I guess less chance of Dumba bumping them. Suter's pointless in three games. Spurgeon only has an assist all season. Uh, I don't know. Is there any impact here, fantasy-wise, aside from just, like, Dumba, maybe, like, a Latang, someone that maybe you were thinking of dropping anyways, and now you could just stash him in IR and not have to worry about it? Yeah, yeah, I think that might be it because Spurgeon and Suter are probably already owned, although there's been reason for their managers to also be impatient with them. I, like, I, I this show sucks, Elon. I am talking about all the, I I have Spurgeon. He's on my roster. I have Why? to talk about all these guys who are just being, yeah. Uh, but I did go back and look to uh, mid-December of 2018, which is when Matt Dumba was injured and out for the season and we saw what happened in the months that followed in the remaining part of the 1819 season. Jared Spurgeon had 24 points in 50 games. Ryan Sudar had 21 points in 50 games. So neither of them uh, setting the world on fire at all with those paces. But decent, but at the same time, their value didn't skyrocket or anything with Dumba out of the lineup. Uh, of course, they'll probably see bigger roles as long as Dumba is out. But I don't know that it's anything game-changing. Also, uh Apropos of nothing, I guess, although we are talking about Minnesota defensemen, Minnesota actually had three defensemen out briefly on their power play the other night. We talked about the five forwards in Boston. Minnesota's going the other way. They're they're working their way towards five defensemen. Oh Brad God. Hunt was the third defenseman on there, I guess, like probably playing some kind of forward role. But uh, three defensemen and probably still no centermen on the ice for that power play in Minnesota. Also, can I also... Uh, just mentioned one Minnesota player who's doing really well, since we've mentioned a few that aren't. Sure, I was going to bring up some people also, but yeah, throw it out. Okay, Jordan Greenway. Is he, is he on your list? No. Eight points in ten games so far this season, uh, and nothing... Well, okay, there's a little unsustainability under those numbers. His line is probably overperforming. He's actually been in on a lot of the Joel Erickson Eck business, but he's now not on that line, and I think still doing half-decent. But... Uh, he also does nothing except for pick up assists. One goal, seven assists, and only 11 shots over 10 games. So if you do add him to your roster, you are basically saying, look, I'm taking this guy who really passes first, second, and third and doesn't play on the top power play, but is putting up points in a pretty nice way. So if you want a guy who's off to a, a nice little run and not getting any hype or press or buzz about it, take a look at Jordan Greenway. Okay, sure. Yeah, he's actually. I'm looking at the lines for today, like the you know real time lines over on Frozen Tools, and Greenway is playing on a line with Eric Sinek and Ryan Hartman uh, for today's game versus uh, Colorado. 
Then we've got Parisi with Bjugstad and Luke Johnson, and then Kaprizov with Nico Sturm and Victor Rask. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess when you have only three good offensive players, you make sure they all play separately. Jeez, man. Like, well, they have another one named <laughs> Kevin Fiala, who's, in, who's suspended for three games. This is crushing me in my couple matchup. Why doesn't Yahoo... Can I rant for that? Like, why doesn't Yahoo let us stash these suspended players anywhere? We have IR. I thought the whole point of IR Plus is, like, for these people missing games but not on the IR. That's why we have uh, this thing we've invented called IR Plus. Like, no, don't put suspended players there. Okay, well, uh, what about these NA spots? Isn't NA supposed to represent players who, like, aren't in the league or something? They've been putting some, like, COVID players there. But, like, suspended? No. Like, just suffer. Like, I didn't push Matt Roy into the boards. Kevin Fiala did. So why am I getting punished? Yeah, but you have kevin fiala so you're responsible for his actions <laughs> like the minnesota wild get to put an extra player onto their roster <laughs> to replace kevin fiala that's a good argument <laughs> why can't i anyway uh minnesota was having a decent start to the season uh before the also like uh, uh marcus johansson is injured so this team is starting to really fall apart but they were five and three before the fiala suspension now they're five and four going into today they're playing colorado it's one one after a period oh and uh, they you know have- who has that goal Jordan Greenway. Yeah, you got it. Jordan Greenway with his second of the night. And thanks, Adam, in the chat for sharing that live update with us. <laughs> so they still have, after today, two more games versus Colorado coming up. So I think they're going to be under 500 by the time this stretch is over. And then then Fiala will be back. I don't know. Hopefully things will turn around. Uh, by the way, uh, one good news, they have Cam Talbot back, right? So anyone who grabbed Kapokakunin and enjoyed a little run, which ended terribly yesterday with five goals against against Colorado. Uh, but anyways, I think now you drop Kapokakunin. I'm assuming that they're going to go back to giving Talbot the majority of the starts. Yeah, I think so too. Kabo Kakinen, though, uh, did really well in his introduction to being a pro in the NHL. Kakinen was actually a 9-17 goalie going into that Colorado game with a 3-2 record, only 11 goals against in five games. But that one night against Colorado brought him down to a 9-03 on the season. It's too early to say anything for sure about Kakinen, but some really good early returns there. And I wonder, like we we figured Cam Talbot was really going to have to be a workhorse this season. I wonder if Kakinen's performance lets Minnesota rest Talbot a little more than planned. Sort of what you were talking about in New Jersey but with, I think, a little more daylight for that possibility. Yeah, honestly, like, I'm not sure why you say that we figured Talbot would have to be a workhorse. Like, I think we knew that Cockney was going to come in and be decent. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I think he's a solid backup, but Talbot's a starter. So no reason to hold Cockney, especially for next week. Like, what, he'll get one of those games against Colorado. Wow, well, you definitely want to have him for that. Uh, okay, so another defenseman injury to talk about. A bad break for Justin Schultz. Kind of like uh, Dumba. Like, he's finally doing good. And now he got hurt. He got struck in the face by a puck on Thursday, missed Saturday's 4-3 win over the Caps, or for the Caps over the Boston Bruins. Uh, ever since Ovi, Orlov, Kuznetsov, and Samsonov went on that COVID protocol, Schultz has gotten on the top power play, and he's been on fire. He had three straight two-point games, uh, three power play assists in that span, but also two goals and one assist to even strength. So he was also producing not with that extra power play role, I guess just some extra ice time with Orlov out. Uh, Brian, do you think that uh, Justin Schultz can remain fantasy relevant whenever he's back from his injury? Like, assuming the Caps at this point are, like, back at full strength, uh, Schultz is back at the second power play, still, he's, like, coming off this great run do you think he could continue to at least produce somewhat like be like a 35 40 point defenseman which is worthwhile in fantasy or is he gonna go back to the zero points at first five games justin schultz that we saw to start the year i mean 35 points is a pretty low bar to set for fantasy relevance so i think justin schultz can probably hit that but no i don't think he's going to be any more valuable than he ever has been although if you're desperate to believe that he will be justin schultz had games with four and five shots on goal 
in that little run he had, which is a very fun change from someone who often takes a single shot most nights that he plays. Uh, But yeah, three of those six points he got on this run came on the power play. He'll be off the top power play. And then he's never been known to be able to do a whole lot at five on five. In fact, he's a defensive liability. So he often doesn't even get to play a whole lot at five on five. So uh, yeah, I, I feel like you've asked me this question probably... I don't know, upwards of 30 or 40 times over the (laughs) lifetime of keeping Carlson. Is Justin Schultz going to be fantasy relevant? And like twice, I said, maybe this is not going to be the third time. Yeah, like obviously people are into him because he's coming off this great stretch. But I think, yeah, once he's back to being the third like you most used defenseman on the team that's that's a very big difference than being the second most used defenseman on the team like maybe he's more talented than Orlov like when he gets Orlov's spot for offense I mean not for defense but yeah like now once Orlov is back I, I agree with you that I think he goes back to not being worth rostering if he wasn't before uh okay so uh another goalie that's doing well like just like Kapokokin on Minnesota Vitek Vanacek has really been taking advantage of his opportunity on the Caps uh with Samsonov out of the picture in fact uh, the Caps have gotten nine out of ten possible standings points in these last five games where they've been shorthanded yeah Ovi and Orlov were back for the game on Saturday but like wow like I don't think anyone expected this uh like Vanacek's now sitting at five wins in seven games and 918 save percentage uh so now I'm really curious to see what happens when Samsonov comes back like everyone was assuming that Samsonov was going to be a big volume starter this year when Henrik Lundqvist announced he wouldn't be able to play the year uh now it's kind of looking like maybe this will be a Rangers situation right like I think Vanacek has at least earned himself a decent number of starts like Samsonov he only played like a couple games but he didn't look amazing so I think at this point I don't know I'm nervous as a Samsonov owner I think I almost like maybe keep him in IR for a bit and see how things play out before dropping someone for him because if you're in a league like the keeping Carlson ultimate patron fantasy league where a tandem goalie isn't really worth holding I think Samsonov with Vanacek's play like I think Vanacek and Samsonov will now maybe not be worth rostering all season because it could uh, turn into a tandem. If only there were a place where I could get some sense of how many leagues in the cupful, guys like Samsonov and Vanacek are rostered. And using that information, I could decide whether or not, you know, they're still worth rostering or if I can safely drop them to free agency. Anyway, maybe we'll talk more about that later. In the meantime, yeah, uh, the door is open for Vanacek to take some starts away from Samsonov, who, like you said, we thought was going to have to be a workhorse, came in, got off to a rocky start, start 846 and 889 save percentages. And uh, Vanacek has come in and has earned a point in all seven games he's played. Uh, it all comes out to a 917 save percentage. That's a result of very high highs and very low lows. Do you know what his closest save percentages to 917 have been this year? They've been a 900 game and a 930 game. And that's the story of the Vanacek roller coaster that he's been taking his managers on. Uh, but at this point, the net aggregate result of all the play he's had uh, is probably that he could have worked himself into a timeshare by the time Samsonov gets back. So anybody who did draft Samsonov being like, oh yeah, there's no competition in Washington. This guy's going to start all the games. You might have to rethink your goaltending strategy. Yeah, I definitely agree. And yeah, Brian, you're right. We may have a tool to help with that. I I can tell you that I have this information and maybe others will be able to have this this information since we have 23 cupful divisions 
throughout the from tiers one through six, and Vanacek is is rostered in all of them but one, which makes sense, right? Like actually, this question isn't that interesting, right? Like Vanacek is obviously yeah. rostered in almost all leagues right now because Samsonov's injured, and Samsonov's probably rostered in all leagues because he's just in the IR. No one had to drop him. The real interesting question will be what happens once Samsonov is healthy, and then we can see how teams adjust. And uh, yeah, we may be able to do so. So okay, another injury, last one of this of this show. Okay, then we'll end with some some good and bad news in terms of hot streaks and cold streaks. So Tyler Bertuzzi suffered an upper body injury on Saturday for the Red Wings in the OT loss to Florida. And Detroit played today. I'm pretty sure this is the issue when you prep a show. And then after that, you record the show in between. The game happens. But okay, I'm looking live. And yeah, Bertuzzi didn't play. So I don't know, Brian, if you've seen an update. He might be out. Like In the meantime, uh, this Red Wings team is definitely not very deep. Like They were already not very deep. And now they lose a, a big name in Tyler Bertuzzi. I guess on the plus side, Anthony Mantha seems to be waking up a little bit. He had points in his last couple games going into today. There was a stretch where he was, an, he was like off the top power play. And so was Larkin. It was like very weird i guess uh, blashill was trying something but apparently today was back to kind of normal like mantha on the top power but still not on a line with larkin i don't know a lot of people have been asking about dropping mantha on our discord and twitter lately and i for good reason right he's not having a great year so far and like his deploy like at least you know if he was holding good deployment then he'd be like yeah he'll be fine like whatever detroit's kind of a messy team and sometimes they're going to go through cold stretches but if mantha's like cold himself and not getting the primo deploymento. Is he someone that you're considering dropping or would be considering dropping even though you probably had to spend like a high traffic to get him? Yeah, so I'm going to head my eye on in a lot of drafts and I'm glad he didn't fall to me in as many as I hoped because it has been a really rough ride for Anthony Mantha. First, uh, your Bertuzzi question just day to day is the latest. Okay. As and actually, I'll, I'll give you another update. Okay. So Mantha scored today. I don't know if you have that in your notes uh, against Florida. So it was an, a 3-2 loss. Mantha, a goal and five shots. So actually, look, today's looking good. If he could keep this up, then that answers the question. Oh, that's great news. And he had a goal on four shots the game before. So that's very promising. Actually, this game against Florida... It looks like I'm looking live on Frozen Tools. He's like 23 and a half minutes, which is his season high by like four minutes. That's crazy. So I guess he's uh, getting some extra play and is having a good game, which is very encouraging news for anybody who rosters Mantha. Uh, you know, there's also this quote that came out uh, last night. It was shared by Prashant Iyer, another beat writer featured on 31 Beats, that uh, Jeff Blashell was just like, you know, uh, the power play is just about players executing. And it, because he had swapped out, like, Mantha and Larkin briefly from the top unit and being like, it's just about executing. It's not about schematics. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, you're the coach. Fix the power play. Don't just put worse players on the power play and think that's going to solve the problem. The power play in Detroit has been woeful, and that's been a big reason for Mantha and a lot of Red Wings' struggles so far this season. Mantha, of course, just has one power play point heading into today's game. Detroit was 4 for 31 on the power play, uh, and Mantha wasn't even seeing a ton of deployment on it. Only 50% share of his team's power play, but at 5-on-5, he'd been okay. So what I'd like Blashell to do was instead of saying, we're going to change the players, how about you change the power play figure out what's wrong i mean you're the freaking coach do your job and help <laughs> anthony mantha get production for anybody who has him on their roster because i i think he's still as capable as he ever has been detroit's just been a mess in the way that they've been deploying their players in very curious ways splitting mantha and larkin uh, keeping them off the top power play that's my biggest concern here it's not anthony mantha himself it's the guy making the decisions behind the bench i mean 
I feel like you also probably should put some blame on Steve Eiserman not giving uh, Mantha and Larkin many people to play with. Like with uh, Zadina on the COVID list and now Bertuzzi injured. This, sure. this team looks rough. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's very rough in Detroit. There are two, there are you wouldn't think there are places for Mantha and Larkin to land that wouldn't be good for them. You'd think they'd at least be playing together. Uh, of course, that's not the case. And if they're not playing together, it's really bad news for both of them because the replacement options are not awesome. Yeah, it's actually funny. I just realized there, there actually is another injury on Detroit in Jonathan Bernier, which normally you would say, okay, that means Grice is going to play a lot. I didn't even think to bring that up on the show because like, who cares? Yeah. No one wants Grice, even though he's going to play more games unless I guess you need saves. Uh, okay, so let's now go to some hot streaks. Okay, Brian, I'm thinking we, let's play a game of sustainable or fleeting, a Keevan Carlson classic. I'm going to tell you some players uh, who have been doing really well and you're going to answer the question, is the production that you're seeing sustainable? Are they? Is it something that you think they can keep up to some extent? Like a lot of these guys like over a point per game and like obviously I don't mean literally sustainable like is Joe Pavelski going to end the season with like 150 points? But you know what I mean? Like, is he going to stay awesome or is his production fleeting? You think it's going to go back to what they were like last year? Uh, so let's start with these Dallas stars. So many dimensions, right? Pavelski, Klingberg, Gurionov, Radulov. Uh, 10, 8, 7, and 5 points in 5 games, respectively, going into today. I know Radulov got another point today. Uh, Rupe hints 5 points in only 3 games going into today, so make that 5 points in 4 games. Uh, so all summer, we talked about how it's hard to bank on Dallas guys. Uh, because this team doesn't score much, but here we are. The team has scored a lot of goals this season, another three goals today, though they did have that weird 11-shot game versus the Canes on Saturday, and not too many shots more today. So I'm still trying to even figure out, like, is this an offensive team? Like, did Rick Bonus change something? Are all these guys... Oh, like, Jamie Benn, by the way, came back today and had a huge game, so you could add him to the list. Like, just in general, are we back on? Like, Dallas players can be worth rostering could be like 70 plus point players or are you still thinking that this production will be fleeting and your prediction that no one on dallas can be especially offensive like is that still the case that is still the case and i'm gonna tell you why i know it might be hard to believe especially because we saw dallas score goals in the playoffs right they could play that high event high scoring hockey and that's what helped them get all the way to the stanley cup finals before losing which is sorry that sounded like shade against Dallas. i didn't mean for it to be um but yeah i'm not bought in that dallas has changed enough fundamentally to suddenly be this high scoring team and one number i'll share to illustrate that picture is 18 percent, and that is Dallas's team shooting percentage at all strengths, 18%. That leads the league and is entirely insane. The highest shooting team last season shot 11%. The average in the league is less than 10%. Uh, so, no, they can't continue scoring the way they've been scoring. And actually, you can find out that all of that extra scoring is happening on the power play. Going into tonight's game, Dallas was 11 for 25 on the power play, which is a 44% conversion rate, which is awesome. But uh, it's right now telling too much of the scoring story and not showing enough in the scoring story is that at five on five, Dallas is the same old boring Dallas team they've been for a little while now. Dallas is still near the bottom of the league in many offensive metrics. Specifically, they rank 26th and expected goals for it five on five. So this high scoring situation for Dallas, it's a mirage and it's a great time to consider selling high on all your Dallas guys. 
Yeah, I guess, if, especially if you have like a Radulov, a Pavelski, uh, if if you believe what Brian's saying, like a John Klingberg, who I think is like in a really good spot. He's on the top power play. Like he's definitely not, you know, he could still be like a 50 point guy, but maybe not like a 70 point guy, I guess. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to go out and see what you can get for these Dallas guys. It's scary to trade someone like Pavelski, who just has so many points or Radulov. And we've seen them put up points like this in the past. So I feel like it's easy to, t- you know, just convince yourself that, yeah, Pavelski and Radulov are back to how they were a couple seasons ago. And just last year was the Mirage. But according to Brian, this high shooting percentage, it's not only according to Brian. It seems like according to past history, this high shooting percentage is not likely to sustain. And uh, yeah, these games against Carolina, def- like that 11-shot game just makes me think, okay, something is going on with this team. Though they did have some injuries in that game and Ben did come back. Uh, okay, so let's go now to Winnipeg. So Brian said fleeting for Dallas. Now let's see Winnipeg, another team that's scoring a lot of goals. I'm going to give you a specific player for this one. Uh, like Ben and Lewis already talked about how great of a pickup Cop or Stasny make on Thursday's Short Shifts episode. And actually, we've seen some new lines. So I will actually mention that quickly before I get to the player I'll ask you about. I just remember I saw today Winnipeg in practice were running Cop with Shifley and Ehlers and then Kyle Connor with Stasny and Wheeler. So Wheeler and Shifley split up and you go to game day lines, uh, gamedaylinetweets.com and you could get the updated line combinations. Interesting stuff. Anyways, the player I want to ask you about is Nikolai Ehlers, who's up to 11 points in eight games. And this is like Nikolai Ehlers, the guy who never gets on the top power play. He's still putting up like well over a point per game. Obviously, I don't think he's going to keep up 113 point pace, like I said, but like Ehlers set a career high 67 point pace last season, 2019-20. Do you think his production looks sustainable enough for him to set a new career high this season? Yeah, I do. He's looked really good, Nick Ehlers, at five on five. And so is his line. They have a... This outstanding expected goals for rate on the season, that's a full goal per 60 higher than Ehlers has ever had before. It's likely unsustainable. Like, it's a huge jump, so we'll watch to see if that holds as more games are played. This is the caveat that I have to give, and it's frustrating, but still somewhat accurate, is that Nick Ehlers scored 10 points over five games against Ottawa and Edmonton. Right? Of course, he's still going to play a huge chunk of his season against those two teams. Yeah, exactly. Like, they make up a third of Winnipeg's op- opponents. And throw in Vancouver. They're not like a hard team to score against, it seems. Yeah, but Ottawa and Edmonton definitely seem... Uh, yeah, you're right. So I'm just like... I don't know. I'm a little baffled. Maybe this question is more for next season. Like how he can do when he's not playing Ottawa and Edmonton presumptively this many times. Um, right now... Winnipeg has four games against Calgary on the docket. So I'm going to be interested to see what Ehlers and his line do in that time. Uh, but I don't want to take anything away from what Ehlers has done. He's looked legitimately good. And uh, like I, I think he is on pace to break his 67-point career high pace. And I love that he has Stasny this year. We talked about the Stasny acquisition, how that was good news for Ehlers. And soon, he's going to have Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like, this is going to be a second line that could be a first line. So I am very excited to see what they're all able to do together. Nick Ehlers, he's good. Yeah. Brian, clearly you were too busy browsing Twitter, not listening to me before when I was talking about how Winnipeg actually changed up their lines. So who knows? Maybe Ehlers will stick on his new line with Shifley and yeah. well, right now it's Andrew Kopp. So we'll see what happens. But either way, it's two strong lines and Ehlers is going to play with good players. That is for sure. I'd love to see what he could do on the top power play one day. It's kind of like Aaron Eckblad. And this year we're finally potentially seeing it. Uh, Ehlers, one day, right? One day on Kevin Carlson, we'll be talking about top power play Nikolai Ehlers and he's going to be like uh, for sure top uh, like, you know, player in the league, like over point per game for sure. But 
we're not there yet. I should also, by the way, mention Adam Lowry is riding a six-game point streak. I know it's like not sustainable. He's like a bottom six player, but can't argue with the recent success. And Winnipeg does play Monday, Tuesday next week. So I don't see any reason why if someone's listening to this on Monday, just grab Adam Lowry for a couple games, see if he can keep up the hot streak, and then you could always drop him. But uh, I would grab him. Yeah, run of five goals on 13 shots for Adam Lowry. So his production is fleeting, but also give him credit for having some pretty good underlying numbers. Seems to have taken a step forward this year compared to his last year's. Interesting. Another guy like Cop, who seems to be uh, like a potential candidate. I've been calling Cop, I guess, on our Discord server because Ben and Lewis have done most of the talking about him. But maybe this year's Brian Rust is a guy who has transformed his game or looks like he's transformed his game from being a middle sixer to a top sixer. And Adam Larry, I don't think he's quite done the same, but he's still done better. Like instead of a middle sixer, maybe he's looking more like a top nine, legitly capable guy to be a part of that that was a really poor way to put it that was uh, great. but how about i ask you this if you had to stream and this is probably an irrelevant question for a lot of people but here it is anyway if you had to stream adam lowry or dylan dubey who would you choose uh lowry i think yeah me too because he's doing stuff Dylan Dubé, show me something in the league. Like, just because you're on a line with Matthew Kachuk isn't enough for me anymore. Because I've seen a lot of players, including Manji Pane, your favorite guy, be on a line with Matthew Kachuk and not do anything. Uh, yeah, but the Winnipeg's going to be interesting, right? Because you're talking about Kopp has maybe, like, established himself as a top sixer. But now with uh, Dubois coming in, he might push him down. Unless, like, Stasny goes to center of the third line. But if Stasny goes down to center of the third line, then your Adam Lowry, who's now established himself as a nice top nine guy, he would get pushed down to be the fourth line center. So uh, we'll see how the pieces fall once... Dubois comes into the picture. Okay, next up in sustainable or fleeting, Tyler Toffoli, quiet yesterday versus Calgary, but who wasn't versus Jacob Markstrom, right? But before that, he had a stretch of six goals and three assists in five games, all from a third line with Jesperi Kakaniemi and either Joel Armia or Corey Perry. Uh, only two of those nine points, by the way, on the power play. So it's a lot of even strength production for Tyler Toffoli. So basically the flip of Nikolai Ehlers, right? He's getting power play time, but he's not getting the best even strength deployment. But it doesn't matter. He and Ehlers are both producing like crazy. Uh, so yeah, do you think what Tyler Toffoli is doing, to at least some extent, is this sustainable? Or do you think it's going to be fleeting like his career high is a 58 point pace back in 2015-16 do you think he's going to beat that this year yeah I do I think Tyler Toffoli looks great out there and one thing that's really going for him is that he's got a bigger power play role so far this year in Montreal than he had previously in LA Uh, that said I do think that his current level of production is fleeting right when you're asking me sustainable or fleeting it's like is all of it gonna go away or only some of it I tried my best, away. bro. I tried so hard to frame it and say, like, you I know, is he going to beat his career high? And if, if you, you say yes, great. then that's sustainable. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, so I just want to make sure I'm, I'm using the right term to answer it. Sustainable in that he's likely to break his career high. Fleeting in that he's not going to score six goals on every 24 shots he takes, with, which goes without saying, right? I really do like to fully and think 60 points is in his future this season. He seems to have finally, finally been unleashed, you know, first in Vancouver and now in Montreal. Actually... Montreal as a whole seems kind of unleashed right now, which is uncharacteristic for a Claude Julien team, but they're scoring like crazy right now and kind of sustainably. The Habs lead the league in all situation goals per 60 minutes, and they're looking like a top 10 offensive team if you just look at them at 5-on-5-2, which means I wonder if I need to revisit my preseason take that 65 points would be more than enough to lead the Canadians in scoring and only one player is likely to get there. Now I'm like, okay, I think Toffoli and Gallagher and Suzuki, and I'm just getting started, could probably each get to 65 points the way things are going. 
Yeah, as long as they don't play Calgary and Jacob Markstrom too often, which we know they will. But aside from that, they're looking amazing. And they looked, like I said, they did look amazing against Calgary. It's just Markstrom stood on his head. So this Habs team is looking fantastic. A different Habs team than I think I've ever seen in my life, to be honest. Like, they have, like, depth at offense. They've got decent defense. They've got the best goalie. Like, I don't see why they can't be the best team in the North and go on a nice run this year, not to jinx them. Uh, Okay, so next up, let's go to the Florida Panthers, who have three new acquisitions this year. They're all, like, so good. Like, it's pretty crazy. This team let Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadanov walk. Like they did, you know, and we're thinking, and we were thinking going to the year, man, like this team is looking shallow now. Like who have they brought in? I guess they traded Mike Matheson for Patrick Hornfist. Uh, they got Carter Verhage and Anthony Duclair, who are like maybe Duclair seemed like a bit of a, you know, maybe he could be good because he had a good stretch in Ottawa. But man, like all three of these guys are have been insane. Uh, like the first of all, the Panthers are 4 0 1 to start the year. And I wrote that before they just beat Detroit today. So make that 5 0 1. And a big reason is these three new players, compared by the way to Dadnov and Hoffman, who are doing bupkis for their teams. So it seems like a real slam dunk of Verhagen Duclair, each with six points in five games, all at even strength, playing with Alex Barkov on the top line, who also has six points. That's going into today. And let's take a look here. Another goal for Carter Verhage, uh, nothing for Duclair. So Verhage, holy cow, like, at him. Like, regardless of what Brian says, at him. Like, he should be owned, probably Duclair. And also Patrick Hornquist, four goals and two assists in five games going into today. And four of those points came on the power play. I know that Hornquist got, did he get another goal today? <laughs> holy cow, man. All three of these guys are great. So what do you think? Obviously, I'm just blushing and, like, maybe biasing the question. But, like, do you think this is sustainable? Again, like, obviously not point per game. But, like, are Carter Verhage, Anthony Duclair, and Patrick Hornquist all going to be, like, for sure holds never even thinking of dropping these guys all throughout the rest of the season in fantasy? I'm going to say Hornqvist has a good chance. He's looked good again. And the same thing I'll say about Verhege and Duclairs. All three of these guys are getting a new lease on their NHL careers compared to the opportunity they've had recently. Although I guess Duclair has had some great opportunity, but we just haven't seen him in it long enough. But I'm not sure that the production I'm seeing from all these guys is uh, sustainable. Like I would say Florida is more like Dallas in the examples we've covered so far and that they are not the best looking offensive team, but they're being buoyed by a hot power play that scored five goals on their first 15 opportunities this year. I'm very open to seeing where this goes, but uh, of course it's easy to say they're all not going to be scoring six points every five games. Uh, one thing that's nice to see is that Florida's power play is still clicking without Mike Hoffman so far. And with that drama, on their blue line as well, not really impacting them between Yandel and Ekblad and Quenville. So, uh, you know, I think Verhege and Duclair and Hornquist might all exceed preseason expectations. So in that sense, what they're doing is sustainable. But I don't know that they're all going to be rosterable the whole way through. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to see that now, but obviously, like, I mean, it's just like Barkov and Huberdo are clearly, like, so good. Yeah. Like, not to take away from these three, but, like, they're getting elevated, and I feel like it's, I'm getting deja vu from the Islanders, where they lose John Tavares, and you think, all right, well, they're gonna stink now. Then they were, like, better than before, and here, it's, like, addition by subtraction, I guess. Like, we go into the year saying, like, Florida, man, they stink, and now, all of a sudden, like, they're, they're looking better than ever, so it's it's weird, wild stuff, and we'll see how it goes. It's six games in. They've won five of them. Yeah, there's just been so, like, Florida has also missed games for COVID, right? So it's been hard to really get a sense of who they are. They've played fewer games than almost everyone in the league. So we're only six games in. I feel like the way we're talking about them is the way we were talking about every team two weeks ago. 
So like, I'm open. I'm open is all I'm saying. I'm not buying in wholeheartedly to any of these guys necessarily. Like I, I or I said, I liked Hornfist, but for Hagee and Duclair, let's, uh, let, let me watch a little more. Okay. Well, definitely add that. If they're in free agency stuff, yeah. I, I like them add better them than like, yeah, like Nick Ritchie or whatever. Like yeah. he's a streamer. These guys are, are ads for sure. Uh, another guy who's an ad that like, I can't believe I didn't take. I like beating myself up over it is James Van Riemsdyk, who had an assist on Saturday versus the Islanders uh, on a three game point streak going into today's game versus the Islanders where three more, three more assists. So James Van Riemsdyk is on a huge roll. And this is a guy who like had a strong start to the year and he just stayed in free agency in tier one of the cupful for a long time during that stretch, just because I think everyone thought, yeah, it's JVR. He goes hot, then he like disappears. But so far that hasn't happened. By the way, all his, his three assists today versus the Islanders came on goals from Joel Farabee. So he's another guy who I think is available in free. Well, he's probably still available in free agency because he hasn't done much lately. Uh, JVR probably taken at this point though. You, I would think, but I looked uh, yesterday when I was preparing the show and JVR was only 37% rostered on Yahoo. I'd imagine that's shooting up as we speak. Brian, I know you love JVR, so I think this is going to be an easy answer. But like last year, he seemed to struggle. Like he only put up a 50-point pace. So are you seeing something different this year? Do you think this is sustainable and he's going to for sure stay rostered by anyone who was lucky to get him free agency last week and he's going to you know crush that 50-point pace and yeah, keep up somewhat what he's been doing? I mean, it's really nice to see him getting more time with the man advantage this season, playing up on that top unit for the most part with Giroud, Voracek, and Patrick. Uh, so that's uh, really lovely because last year, James Van like he was good at five on five, but he had this subpar power play deployment, often on the second unit. And also when he was on the ice for the power play, variance was not going in his favor. This year, it's the opposite story. He's got top power play. Variance is is working for him. Five goals on 25 shots. Four goals on 11 shots on the power play, uh, which is really great. His 5 on 5 production is way up. That's great. That's not sustainable. But I do think he can just repeat what he did last year at 5 on 5 with a top power play role if he can hold it. And you're looking at a guy who is going to be rosterable all season long. Like, I've fallen for Van Riemsdyk before, but I think a better season than last year is definitely sustainable, so long as he holds this top power play role. And also, last year, there were a few bad spots in that top nine in Philly that he could land at five on five. This year, those bad spots aren't really around. Like, I, I like him almost anywhere in the top nine this season. So even, again, like I keep saying, I'm not worried about his five on five uh, production. I've liked what I've seen in the past. There's just been that power play p- piece missing, but he's got it now. Yeah, so it's great and definitely grab him. I guess like in the same conversations for Heggy, like and or maybe even higher. I don't know. I guess you're probably higher on JVR. It would be hard for me to not want for Heggy with what he's been doing. But I, guess I would JVR, say, yeah. yeah, like they're com- they're comparable. I know yeah. you'd bring it back to the Florida comparison. I think James Van Riemsdyk is probably in the same class as uh, Verhege and Duclair. But Hornfist higher than both, right? Which yeah, is, uh, yeah, exactly. I thought he, I thought he was done. Like we were talking about Patrick Hornquist back when he was on Pittsburgh. Like, he was on the third line, sometimes even getting bumped from the top power play. It seemed like he was like you know his career was over now, or at least in terms of like being a productive fantasy option. And like this year, he's really turning it around so far. So good for him. Uh, okay, I guess I should bring up that Tra- Travis Konechny got healthy scratched for Saturday's game for Philly. He's back playing today. It's three three right now in the third. For anyone who cares, uh, he hasn't done anything. So far, like every goal, all three of the Philly goals have been Joel Farabee assisted by JVR and a defenseman. So 
I don't know, I guess. Uh, but uh, should we be worried about Konechny? Like, it's weird that he got scratched, right? But at the same time, he seems like he should be one of the best players on the team. And he was doing really well, though he's cooled off quite a bit since his big four-point game versus Pittsburgh two games into the season. So I don't know, last year he was great. I'm not really framing this very well. I'm just kidding in general. <laughs> what do you think about Konechny at this point? Yeah, I'm not worried. I like. I think it's dumb that he was scratched. I could probably go on a reasonably oh, yeah. long. You hate here. NHL coaches. You already you already ranted about the Detroit coach. So I guess it's the same thing, right? You don't like when they're not playing their best players. I mean, scratching your top player should be a last resort, right? And I just don't know that Alvin Yu has used all the tools in his toolbox. Or maybe he has, and he just has a limited toolbox, in which case maybe he should grow as a coach and be better. I've made this analogy a lot in our Discord community that I think uh, coaching should be like teaching. And uh, it's not a teacher move. It's not a good teacher move to just exclude this guy who's not doing what you want him to do. It's like there's probably some deeper problem that just scratching isn't going to solve. Sure, you can speak that language uh, and it will be understood by Konechny, but I just don't think... It's the exact right way to address whatever the underlying reason is for Konechny disappointing Vino. Hey, I mean, easy for us to say behind our podcasting microphones. I've never coached an NHL game, so I yeah. don't know if coaching should be. I know that you and I once coached a girls basketball team over yeah. Hill Academy. and We lost every single game. So I don't know. If but we that, had so a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. I, I blame it on the players. We didn't scratch enough players on, yeah. on that elementary school girls basketball team. Thinking back to it now, didn't we have like only one good player? Remember there was like one girl that was good and like it was so tempting to just say always to pass to her. But I think we were trying to like make it fun and letting other people get on and it was a mistake clearly we should have just gone to the one good player which is the opposite if, of what Vino's doing if only we lived in the same city we could coach a softball team together and scratch the best player on it and see what happened okay so next well only if they're you know struggling also i like that you said like i like to criticize coaches from behind my podcast my group like yeah is it you're like giving advice. Like you're not an NHL coach. You're like, no, I'm not. I acknowledge Brian's going to write the book. Like uh, coaching is like teaching. The the book is going to be called Podcast Microphone Warrior. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just can't comment. Maybe maybe Vino knows what he's doing. We'll see. Like we'll see if Philly goes on and wins a cup. You're that just was his blindly quote. appeal to authority. You're not going to be like, oh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I just what, feel what do like I know? there have to be enough. There's only 31 coaching jobs in the NHL. There has to be some coach capable of getting the best out of their players without resorting to scratching them we'll see i don't know maybe (laughs) it just tells me that he's not a very good coach like if i have if i know a teacher who is just constantly disciplining their students uh for whatever reason this and that it's like man maybe you need to change maybe something's wrong i mean he's not constantly doing it i think this is the first time he's scratched i think (laughs) konechny should scratch vino okay so uh, one more sustainable or fleeting before we end the show on cold streaks Uh, on vancouver nils hoglander this guy i added him like you know a day into the season like i didn't even want him like he was my fifth choice of free agents and somehow everyone else got bid ahead of me on my fab priority list and i ended up with hoglander then all of a sudden jt miller was like on the covid list so then next thing we knew hoglander was on the top power play and like i was like oh 
this guy's great. Like, I'm so happy I have him. And then he did well for a little bit. Then he went cold. And then I kept on thinking, okay, I'm going to drop him at some point. There's no, like, you know, Miller's back. He's on the second line, but not on the second power play, or, or only on the second power play. But then, like, Vancouver kept on having, like, Monday, Wednesday schedules. I was like, I'm not going to drop someone that's going to give me games when I could drop someone who's not even going to get on my roster. And then eventually I dropped a goalie. And, like, somehow I still have him on my cup full team. That's the end of the story. And all of a sudden now I'm, like, really happy that Vancouver had that schedule because Hoglander quietly is on a great run. He's got five points in his last six games after his goal versus the Jets yesterday. I saw a tweet uh, with fancy charts. So, Brian, I sent this to you so that you can understand this thing. But apparently, according to Account for Hockey, Hoglander has been, like, really good this year. That was, like, the the first tweet. And the next tweet was a bunch of, like, charts of, uh, what are we looking at here? Isolated impact, uh, with <laughs> <Yeah>. even strength <laughs> offense, power play, X, X expected goals, four per 60, all that good stuff. Apparently, wow. Hoglander's I, been awesome. <laughs> it's like You just painted a picture with your words, Eli, yeah. with the chart show and demonstrate. So yeah, like he's on the second line, but playing with Bo Horvat, who's really good, and Tanner Pearson, who's who's like I mean Tanner Pearson was great last year, was worth rostering in most leagues. Seems like Hoglander's probably like that. I'm gonna I mean Vancouver plays Monday Tuesday next week, so I'm obviously not going to drop him again, mainly because of his schedule. But if he continues to get me points every game, how can I let him go? I really like him. Yeah. So just for context, the, the charts you're mentioning, one is an isolated impact chart from a hockey viz, which we use often, and the other is an RAPM chart from Evolving Wild. You might be familiar with those. It's like the ones that have like the blue bars up or the red bars down, depending on how a player does on a few uh, offensive metrics like goals for and shot attempts for and expected goals for. So uh, they're great resources. And also the the Twitter you mentioned, Elon, account, then the new number four, then word hockey is a pretty good uh, follow. So you can go check them out. But yeah, Hoglander's on a, this nice little run. Almost all of it happened too. Well, he was playing less than 13 minutes a night, often between 10 and 12 minutes. But Hoglander saw nearly 15 minutes last night against Winnipeg and has three shots on goal in each of his last three games. I love that he's playing with Horvat and there's not really anyone on the depth chart nipping at his heels for that spot. So Hoglander has top six deployment, a few shots a night, no atrociously odd-looking variance numbers, rising time on ice once again for the first time since he was replacing JT Miller in those first couple games of the season. Seems like a guy who could be worth holding on to to see where this goes. I'm not saying, like, lock him in for 60 points, but he falls into the category of those Panthers and James Van Riemsdyk as somebody who uh, I'm very interested to see where this goes. Oh, I mean, I love hearing you say that. I would assume he was behind the Panthers and James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, no, I know I've been at you. Like, he's been on your roster all season. I've been like, yeah, Hoglander seems like an obvious drop. Like, if not today, then tomorrow. And uh, today, I'm saying he's more rosterable than I would have said he was last week. So he's making a real positive impact and, and hanging around, looking like an NHLer, which is fantastic. Yeah, so at the very least, uh, grab him for Monday, Tuesday, if he's available in free agency in your leagues. Like, I take him over Adam Lowry, for example, who I brought up as, like, a good guy to stream in. Uh, okay, so let's do some cold streaks to end the show. Brian, like, let's start in Edmonton. The Oilers are actually playing right now. They're up 2-1 to one against Ottawa. It's like, we're not even halfway through the first period, so I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, but, like, I want to talk about Jesse Pugliarvi, because we actually ended last week's show with Steve Laidlaw, where it looked like Pugliarvi was going to be playing on the top line with McDavid. And then, like, we stopped recording, and then I started editing, and while that was happening, I 
I was watching this game and like Pugliarvi had like probably his best game of the year, right? He had an assist. Uh, he had six shots on goal versus the Jets. And then the next day, a Monday morning in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League where there's like bids every single day. Uh, Pugliarvi, like people went crazy. Brian, I know you added him for a big amount of your fab budget. Uh, he went in tier one for $33. And the people who've added him have been rewarded with no points in three games this week so far and only four shots. We'll see how he does in uh, today's Sunday's game versus the Sens. Uh, but like, how much longer of a leash should people be giving Pugliarvi if he happens to like, if he again has no points tonight, are you, Brian, still going to be holding on because you spent so much to get him? Because it's interesting. Like, uh, you could look at someone like Dominic Cahoon, who's also on a good line. He's been playing with Drysidle, and like, you know, at first everyone was excited about him, and then like he went really cold, and at some point Drysidle or Cahoon got dropped in like a bunch of leagues, and actually Cahoon now has goals in two straight games. I see he's scored today. So if anything, you'd think like, okay, grab Cahoon. He's the one who's hot and Pugliarvi's cold. But I feel like still at this point, people are excited about Pugliarvi and still like meh on Dominic Cahoon. So I'm curious to get your current take on did everyone make a mistake on Monday uh, rushing for Pugliarvi and spending big? Or do you think there's still something here because he's on the McDavid line and you always want the person on the McDavid line? I'm one of those people. I fully admit and confess and I'm also showing, like, disclosing my bias here as somebody who did go out and, and like, make a pretty big splash to get Pugliarvi. I spent 17 fab dollars in my cupful division and no one else bid. So I threw 17 fab dollars down the toilet to get him. Uh, you know, I still think he's worth holding so long as he keeps playing on the top line and isn't getting pushed up. Like, I think every game that he continues on the top line, that's a positive sign. And I think if he's there long enough, if he can keep, if he can keep his spot there long enough without getting pushed off, then good things are bound to happen. I did see uh, in the last game Edmonton played before we recorded this against Toronto, Zach Cashin and Josh Archibald took some turns on the top line. And curiously, during the last four minutes of regulation, Pugliarvi didn't even touch the ice for any of McDavid's three shifts. But as a Pugliarvi manager, I'm still looking at the bigger picture, seeing that he's still with McDavid. He seems to be like on a short leash, but is still holding that deployment. So I'm willing to wait another one or two games to see how it shakes out. If he's off the top line by then, or if he's still putting up goose eggs, then yeah, I'm going to reconsider. But I think we're still in a place where it's possible Pugliarvi is going to click on the top line and then doesn't leave. I don't think he's that valuable to the Oilers right now anywhere else in their lineup. I feel like this is just the sensible place for him. So again, I'm biased. I'm invested in him. <laughs> I, I won't I won't fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy and be like, I invested all this in him uh, and I won't give him up, but I might give him a longer look. If he's in free agency though, my honest... Uh, my honest answer is I wouldn't rush to grab him until I start seeing something. But if he's already on your roster and you have limited moves to make, then maybe you just hold on to him like I will. I don't know, Brian. I, I think everything you're saying is just sounds like so much. <laughs> just like what I used to think about Zach Cassian or something. You know, well, I mean, he's there. And while he's there, he'll probably just like what what is even going to happen, right? He's going to maybe get an assist every once in a while where he gives it to McDave. Then he goes and does it all himself. Uh, like, I don't know. For me, I'm like not interested. Let's see if he does something today to change our mind. Edmonton just scored their third goal of the oh, game. God. Another yeah, so non-Pugliarvi. Like, yeah. So if Pugliarvi gets no points tonight on what you know, against a very vulnerable Ottawa team without Shabbat, right? Like, their yeah. their D pairs tonight are just awful. Uh, I mean, they're not much better than any other given night. But yeah, if Pugliari does nothing tonight, I'm going to take a, a good hard look at him. Because I, I also know that if I dropped him today, I don't think anyone is rushing to snap him up either. So it is... 
It's definitely leaning towards ignore him until you see anything from him. Yeah, you made a post on our, uh, like, group chat with Ben and Lewis, and you, like, posted your roster. You're trying to, like, tell us (laughs) how you have no one to drop. You're like, like, guys, who's my streamer? I have no one to stream. And I was like, how about the guy who's done nothing all season? (laughs) Is he potentially your streamer? Yeah. Uh, Well, Well, I mean, he had... 13 shots over three games when I picked him up and that yeah, was really course. exciting and and his ice time was solid and uh only two shots in his next two games no points uh, so, so there's a there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about Paul Yarvey, but not a lot of reasons <laughs> to be terribly invested like still very speculative yeah I'm not I don't know I, I think if he was awesome if he was like Yamamoto he would have done something already you know like uh so anyways, we'll see. Uh, it's too early to tell, but I think I, I, think I know. Uh, but okay, I was also going to ask about uh, Tyson Barry. Go, like, he looked like a bust. Like, this guy was bumped from the top power play. He was having a slow start to the season. But all of a sudden, he has surged back. Uh, actually, it took games against his former team, the Leafs. He got three assists in, two, in the last two games, both against the Leafs. He's reclaimed his top power play spot. I think he just scored a power play goal to make it 3-1 to one here halfway through the first period. Uh, so, yeah, Tyson Barry was dropped in your league at this point. Like, rush. Go get him, right? Like, I guess it took him some time to get acclimated, but right now, things are looking great. Yeah, looking like a great season. I sort of recall last season in Toronto being kind of similar, right? He was a huge disappointment when he got there. All his managers were like, what do I do with this guy? He's doing nothing. How long do I wait? And then eventually, he took off when he was getting exactly the right deployment when he was put on the top power play to stay and was sheltered reasonably well at five on five, so he wasn't making mistakes at lost him power play privileges so maybe Edmonton is figuring that out too it's nice to see him having some opportunities to build some confidence out there so I would be very happy to hold on to him uh, so long as he stays on the top unit which honestly I think he will the fact that he's already been off and back on there is encouraging to me yeah it's also encouraging that if it happens again that he's off you at least have this evidence that uh, maybe he'll get back on again because we've already seen it happen. But who knows? Maybe he'll hold it now. Obviously, we don't want to uh, pay too much attention to a game versus the Ottawa Senators, who it's just like Matt Murray's already been pulled. Oh, man, the Sens, uh, that was looking like not the best trade and signing that they could have made over the summer. Uh, okay, let's switch over to uh, former Sen and the names that give our podcast. Eric Carlson, who definitely has not started the season the way I was hoping for. Like I was thinking, okay, he's healthy now. It's going to be great. Three assists in eight games for the Sharks. And now San Jose is going to miss the first couple games of next week because of Vegas's COVID cancellations. So Carlson's just becoming a tougher and tougher hold in those shallower leagues. People are still asking us questions about, should I be adding like a Rasmus Anderson or Noah Dobson or a Ty Smith? You know, all players who are like, on their top power plays and like producing doing well and then you have eric carlson doing nothing or like recently jd asked on discord if he should trade eric carlson and listed a bunch of options including like fox i think it's the third fourth time we mentioned adam fox's episode so <laughs> but uh, tory krug dalene ekblad mcavoy and you actually responded saying you still believe in eric carlson which made me happy i was thinking like yeah trade him for any of those guys at this point like i'm like too quick to give up maybe so i'm curious to know like is there something you're seeing in eric carlson you know under the hood that makes us think that he's gonna be the guy that we want him to to be and why we named our podcast after him why my why his name is on my hat that i'm wearing right now or is this three points in eight games a sign that this might not be the bounce back year that i was hoping for i'm really really legitimately concerned about eric carlson i'm putting on a brave face and thinking like you okay he i, I think he's healthy or as healthy as he can get uh san jose is going to be bad but it's not going to be like last year and i just don't see any reason to be optimistic other than uh me believing that the upside still exists. Like, I don't know if this is 
me being overly stubborn and I'm just having too hard a time letting go. Well, I see that Eric Carlson, he looks bad. The Sharks look bad, especially when Carlson is on the ice. He's got nothing to show for the time he's spent on the ice while being bad. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I'm worried. I remember when he was traded from Ottawa, a lot of people who, like, didn't really know me well were like, you're going to have to change the name of the podcast that you host, you know, about Carlson. Like, it's not an Ottawa Senators podcast, guys. Uh, So, no, I'm not going to have to. But now it's just like, like, Eric, don't embarrass us. Our podcast (laughs) is named after you. If if our podcast is named after somebody who's barely rosterable, uh, I just don't know how much credit will be given by our audience. Oh, no. Well, and sometimes I've been able to say, like, well, that's okay. There's lots of Carlsons in the league. We could just switch over and be about William Carlson. But he's also struggling this year. Only three points in seven games for William Carlson, who's uh, gone back to center Marcia So and Riley Smith. I think it was a lot better for him last year when he was centering Stone and Pacioretty in the in the playoffs at the end of last season. But uh, William Carlson, only three points in seven games. Riley Smith, by the way, also three points in seven games. And again, just like the Sharks, these Vegas players are not going to play to start next week because of these... Go- and with Vegas, who knows how long they'll be off right because they're the team that had the exposure to covid so uh, uh at this point especially if you can't like just stash these guys in ir which i guess you can't for like these postponed games are you would you be holding on to marcia so and smith or would you be like do you see a reason why they can't get back to what they were doing last year like is this just a cold stretch or are they also concerning you just like eric is Add these guys to the list of players we've talked about underperforming who are on Mike Cupful team. I own both William Carlson and Riley Smith. Oh, and boy. yes, I've noticed they're not doing well. Both look fine, but I mean, they're also not going to set the world on fire, even in their likely best case scenario of 55, 60-ish points. So kind of like Kyle Palmieri in that respect. Also, though, Vegas is using them a little less, 60 to 90 seconds less time on ice at five on five each night compared to last year for them. I'm not thinking of dropping Smith or Carlson in our 250 deep cupful division, but you might consider it in a shallower format until they get their legs under them. I don't think anyone's going to jump on them. If you drop one first between Riley Smith and William Carlson, probably drop Smith because William Carlson is still on the top power play, gets a little bump for that. I hope he can stay there though, because that top power play has been real cold and I'm hoping they don't try and shuffle him off as one way to try and solve that. Vegas has started uh, the season by scoring just three times on 26 power play opportunities, ranked 29th in the NHL with just an 11.5% conversion rate. Okay, let's go uh, to another former Sen. Uh, I think we mentioned him, Mike Hoffman on St. Louis. Doing nothing. One assist for his third point of the season in seven games uh, versus the Ducks on Saturday. Doesn't look like he's gotten anything so far. The game is still going on. What is it? 2-1 St. Louis. And yeah, Mike Hoffman once again. Oh no, what am I talking about? He has an assist today. So I don't know. Should we just pass on the Mike Hoffman conversation? Like, I don't know. I'm disappointed. He's on the third line. He's on the second power play. This is not what we were expecting from him. Uh, I've, he was dropped in one of my leagues and then he was quickly re-added off of waivers. I'm wondering if I made a mistake not going in on him. Like, what do you think? Is, is it snoozer time? Like, if we have Nick Ritchie out there, I feel like it would be really hard to not want to grab top power play Nick Ritchie and hold on to non-top power play Mike Hoffman. Yeah, I think the reason to not do that, and I'm not saying this should be what you do, but the reason to not do that would be that Richie's not going to be on the top power play all season, or at least I, I don't. I don't know that he will. And of course, yes, Hoffman's on the second power play unit. But if I want to give his managers reason for optimism, uh, St. Louis power play 
kind of sucks so far. Three power play goals on 25 opportunities heading into tonight's show that we're recording right now. Uh, so like essentially Vegas, 12% conversion rate, 27th ranked power play in the league. So if that top power play isn't working, it's like maybe like you have Mike Hoffman. Why don't you see if you can make it work? Like let him bump Jaden Schwartz off the top unit and see how, like, I don't know that that would exactly work and they might have to rejig exactly how it's run, but, uh, just something to consider. Of course, the St. Louis power play also could be struggling because they are adjusting to Krug instead of Petrangelo and trying to get through those growing pains. But I don't know. Like I, so, okay, this has all been maybe a little misleading because I think Hoffman is snoozing and I don't think he's worth rostering while he's on the second power play. I'm just trying to give some hope, uh, to anybody who has him on their roster or thinking of adding him. It's like the second you see him on the top power play, go for it. In the meantime, yeah, I don't think he's rosterable, especially because as you mentioned, Elon, He's not shooting. Just one game out of seven so far this season where he's put more than two shots on net, which is not like him, and basically a function of him getting second power play billing. Yeah, man, what a surprise. This lesson of like players going to new teams is like big this year. Like a lot of players, uh, well, it happened last year, right? We've talked about like PK Subban and, and Jacob Truba. We thought they would be good on their new teams. Now add Mike Hoffman to the list. Like uh, it's a little bit scary. Tyson Barry, I was going to bring this example though. That seems to be working out now. Uh, okay. And then the last snoozer player I wanted to ask about, definitely not a snoozer, but someone I'm a little bit concerned about. Uh, what's going on with Roman Yosi? We've been getting a lot of questions about the reigning Norris winner. He had a power play assist on Saturday versus Tampa, but that was only his third point in eight games on the season. Like last year when Yosi had that amazing 77 point pace season it was weird right like everyone on the team like all the forwards were struggling like Forsberg Arvidsson like obviously Johansson like Duchesne they all did a lot worse than we expected yet somehow Roman Josie had like the best season of his career now it's kind of like flipped like Forsberg and Arvidsson they're looking good but Roman Josie is the one who's struggling so like is it possible that all of these players who we think should be good can be good in the same year or is like if Forsberg and Arvidsson are gonna have a good year does that mean we should be expecting a bit of a down year for Josie? Through eight games, Roman Yosi has been on the ice for just two goals scored. That's it. And uh, of course, he hasn't gotten a point on any of them, which of course is very frustrating for anybody rostering him in fantasy. That said, it hasn't been as bad as it as that result shows. Uh, the Predators are shooting less than 3% while Yosi is on the ice at five on five. So I'm not that worried, but... One reason I still don't think he's quite going to get to the heights of last year is because last season, Yosi was the entire power play. This season, for the third year in a row, that power play is still awful. It was awful last season, but somehow Roman Yosi survived it, like you said. Uh, the power play in Nashville, though, is now entering its third season of just being straight up broken. They're in that territory of St. Louis and Vegas that I just pooped on to say how bad they were. Uh, four power play goals on 33 opportunities, 12% conversion rate to start the season. Uh, and yeah, Roman Yosi isn't even getting in on that fun the way he was last season. So this all puts us in a place where Roman Yosi, yeah, is not doing well on a power play that doesn't give a whole lot of opportunities to do well. And at even strength, he's a little snake bitten. He's also underperforming his rate stats from the last several years. And I'm not exactly sure what the reason is behind that and if there's cause for greater alarm. But right now there's enough bad variance going against him that I'm not getting overly concerned about Yosi. I think you should definitely have ex- adjusted your expectations though. And I hope, think, we mentioned this uh, in the preseason that we don't see another se- another 77 point season coming from him, but that he should still comfortably be in that 55, 60 point range that he had been for several seasons before that. 
I'm still counting on that. Uh, but right now, things are definitely looking really rough. Yeah, but honestly, I don't even remember you saying that. Like 55-60, I would have like scoffed so much in the offseason. And if you think that, then that means probably people should be looking to trade him while he still has that high name value. Like I'm sure a lot of people are just assuming that it's a slow start. And maybe you can get someone who's on a much better pace than that. So interesting. I got to think of some names. Tweeted us. I don't know. But like... Uh, I- yeah, it's concerning. And like last year was weird. And maybe you're right that like that was the anomaly. And he's going to go back to what he was doing the years prior, which is yeah, closer to like a 60 point pace. For what uh, it's worth, true. our uh, patron projection project had him at a mean of 69 points with the minimum 59 and the maximum 85. So yeah, he's in danger of meeting that minimum uh, projection and is no chance of hitting that maximum projection, of course. Like we knew last year was weird and I think we thought, yeah, I don't know. I guess now you've made me unsure about what I said about him preseason. I feel like I've been pretty specific in saying he's not going to get up to that point pace he had last season, but maybe has a higher ceiling than we previously thought. Right now, I would just put him back down to the same place he had been for the several years before that. Okay, I'll trust you. I don't remember you saying that, but I'm sure I'm sure you did. Maybe I just wasn't listening. Um, okay, so this has been a blast. We've gone through like a million players. Hopefully people have enjoyed this show. Before we sign off, we have that big announcement, Brian, that we teased at the start of the show. We've been teasing a little bit throughout. Uh, yeah, like, are you curious if anyone has dropped Roman Yosi? And like, okay, here's the thing that I love about what we're about to announce is when you're on Yahoo, and I think a big part of sometimes when I'm making a decision of a player to add or a player to drop, I like to look at the percent rostered, right? And see like how many leagues is this person being added in? Or I like to look at the recent transaction history and see how many leagues has this player been added in versus how many leagues has this player been dropped in. But the problem is Yahoo just has like every single league there, right? And there's a lot of clown leagues out there with people that don't know what they're doing. But we actually are running our own like network of leagues in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, where like I said, we had 23 divisions of players who all know what they're doing. And uh, the being a participant in the Cupful has just gotten a little bit better because we've got a website the couple has a website now and it is insane uh like okay get this this is a website so it's couple.com or keepingcarlson.com slash league we'll link to it in the show notes you gotta check it out this is like up-to-date stats of everything going on in the couple. Like you can see if you're playing, you can see where your standing is in the whole league in terms of total points. Uh, you can look at like player stats, like percentage owned in the couple. How many uh, of the 23 leagues is this player rostered on? You see like the recent transactions, ad drops. This is like a useful tool for people playing in the couple or just anyone, I think, playing fantasy because they have access to all this data from people who, like, again, know what they're doing. Brian, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll throw it to you. Like maybe you can give thanks to all the people who have built this amazing site, but like I'm even only scratching the surface of the data and interesting stuff on this site. It is phenomenal. Yeah, so John Newhold, uh, who you heard on the auction, the Tier 1 Auction podcast co-hosting with me, is behind this, and you're going to hear more of him too. Uh, I don't know if I'm if I'm revealing anything too soon, but... Do it. Uh, okay. Reveal it all. He and Marcus, uh, our stat attack hosts are going to be like really ramping up production on the show before long so we're really excited for the return of that also uh our patron kevin has been just incredible at also like contributing he learned freaking tableau to help make this website and like provide all these great stats uh for anyone who doesn't know what tableau is it's something i've tried to teach myself and failed for the last three years and Kevin, like, learned it in a day, maybe two. So way to go, Kevin, for being amazing. Thank you for all your hard work. And, of course, Marcus has also been a part of all the conversations that have built this freaking website that has, like, literally any way you want to slice 
uh, how to measure performance in like a cupful, both manager performance, like if you want to see how Elon or my teams are doing, or your own team, but if you're in the cupful compared to everybody else and a lot of different measures that account for luck and expected wins and division strength, it's amazing. And then also to get info on players and uh, how many divisions they're rostered in, how much fab people are paying for them, you can basically take all the data that is churned out daily by transactions and managers and games in the cupful and just see it in a million different ways. Uh, I can't even explain it. Like you're going to have to go to the website at cupful.com, kkupfl.com and see it all for yourself. Play around. It might not all make sense right off the top, but if you're patient and take some time to play around with the charts that are there, man, you will be rewarded. Yeah, it's a crazy sign. Brian, you even like slipped in there that another benefit of being in the Kevin Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League is we have our own podcast, which, yeah, like you said, the first episode is dropping tomorrow. We're going to link to it in the show notes, like a couple stat attack. If you're a patron, don't worry, we're going to share all the links everywhere with Marcus and John Newhold. And also, by the way, you brought up how Kevin, uh, you know, prepared a bunch of the stats on Tableau. But the person who actually put this website together and designed it is John Newhold, who's helped us a lot. He was great in that auction episode. And John, like, I want to take a second to share shout out like John's website creation skills because this site is great like not only does it have by the way all the a uh, couple stats and everything. It's also got like just cool stuff like uh, our Twitter timeline, a bunch of Twitter timelines. You could, like you could listen to shows, like all this embedded cool. It, it's wild. And John actually has a company called JN Software Consulting that does this kind of thing, and they're so good at it. You'll see from this site as an example that they help organizations with their software and professional skills training. They build databases and web applications. They provide consulting to help people with their projects, just like they did with us. Uh, like, there's a reason why John's fantasy team is called Microsoft Excel. By the way, John's team was the one that won the, like, fast-forward, fast-track last year, or would have if that existed. Like, they're the highest-scoring team in all of the cacuffle. And uh, the reason why he calls his team Microsoft Excel is because he knows what he's doing with Microsoft products, like uh, Adobe, a whole ton more. Uh, yeah, I, we, we, we told John we need to shout out this company because if you have a business and you, you need a website, uh, check out jnsoftware.ca. You can get free resources like their blog and free monthly webinars. And at jnsoftware.ca slash audit, you can get a free training and consulting audit. Uh, their team will talk to you to understand your organization's unique needs and then provide a comprehensive no obligation report customized for your strengths and gaps with suggestions on how to move forward. Uh, so yeah, this, anyways, uh, I, I wanted to mention that. But also, yeah, check out couple.com, Check out jnsoftware.ca if you want John to, like, make a website for you that's, like, in this company that's, like, even close to as amazing as this. You're looking good. Brian, I'm just so stoked about everything we've got. Stat Attack tomorrow. Oh, man. All these great people. There's a lot of amazing things going on. And the bottom line is that we want to make the fantasy hockey experience as amazing for all our listeners and, of course, the people playing in the couple as possible, which is why there is now... A site, honestly, the stats on our site about the Cupful are better than the stats on the NHL site about the NHL. <laughs> uh, so you've got a website and a podcast dedicated to your fantasy league. It's incredible. So uh, if you want to learn more, we actually have a, like, you can become a patron to uh, to join the Cupful. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash keepingcarlson, or you can go to cupful.com and there's a button that tells you exactly how to go through it. Yeah. And then again, like I said, check out jnsoftware.ca for your website needs. But okay, thank you everyone so much for listening to the show. Uh, this is over a couple hour show. So this is one of our longer ones. There's a lot going on in the NHL every week. I'm sure next week will be two and a half, three hours. You don't, you don't mind, Brian, right? Like you're not usually too tired by the end of these. Uh, so, but I guess with that, we should finally end it. So let's cue the outro music. And then Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? 
All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our wonderful and beautiful patrons. Logo art courtesy of brandonweave.com. All music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World, and Yahoo! And Kakupful.com. I was using it to look at some percent rostered stats, so we'll have to add that to that list. Okay, thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and stay subscribed to our feed, because you're going to have your short shifts with Ben and Lewis coming to you Wednesday morning. Can't wait to hear all the follow-up on many of the guys we've talked about and some guys who we haven't even. So much will happen in the next 48 hours, and Ben and Lewis have got you covered. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.